welcome to Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio. We are the political podcast. Well, I don't know if we want to even call it that anymore. We're a podcast <laughs> that talks about stuff. That's going on in the world. Definitely for millennials and maybe Gen Xers from a left-wing perspective. And fuck boomers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. I love all of you boomer listeners of ours. It's just been a thing lately in we'll, the media, which we'll get into we'll, we'll, at some point. We'll get into. The, the reaction is pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll get into that. Anyway, it is Saturday, November 9th. Is that right? Uh, I think it's the... Yeah, yeah. it's the night yeah. of 2019. Um, if we sound frazzled and like it's been hectic and we're out of sorts, it's because we are. I'm Travis. Mm-hmm. I'm Rachel. So you noticed we weren't on the air last week, maybe, and that is because our dog, who has been having a series of health problems, uh, now has a big old health problem. Um, unfortunately, we awoke early Saturday morning to her having a bunch of seizures, what they call cluster seizures. First time that she had ever had anything like that, and... Um, we took her in and they stabilized her and it turns out she very likely has a brain tumor and there's no such thing as an operable or inoperable brain tumor in a dog as far as I'm concerned at least and I think as far as most people are concerned but we have her yeah we have her comfortable and stable and heavily medicated and you know it's been occupying a lot of our time and our energy um it's it's like having a sick child and you know she's not really all that housebroken anymore and it's hard for her to get around and we have to keep a close eye on her and you know so that day we were in no shape to podcast nope. uh, and this week's been pretty rough it's hard to imagine it's only been one week it seems yeah. like it's been a month we've been yeah. dealing with this yep. uh, at the same time I am going on a tour with my band in little about two weeks yep. and I have an album coming out at that same time and I'm trying to been focusing on that and of course we haven't been able to stop working full time in the midst of everything else so yeah that's a little slice of life over here a little slice of life let you know what we're dealing with uh, um, I am meeting with a lady later today to talk about potentially um, using because I live in the great state of Colorado THC and CBD to maybe potentially help our dog uh get off of some of the more harsh seizure medications, Yeah, um, which I'm really excited about and, and hopeful about. But um, I mean, not only have I read about it in dogs, I think I, I read an article not a month ago about uh, kids with severe seizure disorders. We're having a lot of kids move to Colorado specifically because yeah. this medication, which is what it is, by the way, is medication, is available and legal here. Mm-hmm. Um, and why it is not in other places is preposterous to me it's just, only been just asinine <clears throat> what five years since legalization no it, it literally is like an 80 year old reefer madness hangover uh yeah. it's just insane and once you live in a place even for a couple years where it's legal the absurdity of it being illegal becomes unmanageable to reckon with well let's talk about that right uh because i moved here in summer of 2014 which is literally like Immediately when it became legal? Yes. Like I stepped out of my car and weed was legal in Colorado. Yeah. And I remember hearing on the radio and TV a lot of hyperventilating like, what's going to happen? Are the streets going to be overrun with potheads or worse? Or is this going to be a Crime's going to go Crime up is going to go through the roof yeah. and the economy and it's going to be, it's going to turn into hell on earth because of all the weed. And what has happened instead? Um, no, nothing bad. <laughs> no. We have a lot of like weed stores. And they look like Apple stores. They're very nice, clean. 
it's literally like walking into an Apple store. They have iPads that you look at, and then there's those little like cases, and they let you smell things, and they they're incredibly they're like, now letting knowledgeable kids walk people. in. You have to present your ID just to walk right. in. Right? Yeah, you can't even get through the doors but without presenting your ID. There's a lot of rules and regulations about how much you can buy if you're an in-state or out-of-state resident, and a number of other things. But it's a highly regulated industry. It has not caused more crime in any case. There are some people who argue that the homelessness uh, population has increased because people are moving here because pot is legal and then just living on the streets. I uh, think no. that's exactly the wrong way to look at our homelessness problem, which is that... We have a housing affordability um, problem. Yes. A lot of people moved here because, yes, weed is legal. Um, a and lot also of, a heroin problem from uh, the prescription opiate Yes, but prices. a lot of that people moving here to either work in the weed industry or just because they wanted to live in a place where it was legal resulted in a lot of people of means being able to um, afford higher housing prices, which mm-hmm. caused housing prices to increase, which caused a lot of people who had previously lived here to not be able to afford their house anymore. Um, and that, I think, is why we've had an increase in homelessness. It's not just a bunch of stoners choosing to live on the streets. Colorado is not like California. Yeah, It's not a place where you can comfortably live on the streets. Like, last week, we had record lows in October mm-hmm. in temperatures. Got that, below like, zero, yeah. Below zero. So living outside is not something that's tenable um, by choice here. Yeah. So anyway, we're hopeful about that. And also everyone should legalize weed already for fuck's sake. Yep. Um, so just a heads up, if you tuned in thinking you were going to hear all kinds of stuff about impeachment palooza. Not. Probably not. Nope, we, not doing it. We might touch on it just a little bit. And it's not because we're we're shunning it or saying it's not important. It's just MSNBC's doing it 24-7. Go yeah. check them out. It'd Listen be, to yeah. Greg and Kegro. They're, they're going to be talking about it. Um, there's a million sources to find <laughs> yeah, the most up-to-date thing that you can possibly want to know about impeachment. And yeah. we do a once-a-week podcast. And I'm just, like we've talked about in the recent weeks, we're just not interested in doing this sort of like play-by-play Tick off all the horse news race items. things. Yeah. yeah, there's more important and just more interesting things to talk about, and maybe this can be your reprieve from minute by second speculation mm-hmm. <laughs> about what might happen. It, in yeah, I understand. It's not that we don't care. We're not paying attention. We are, and we yep. talk about it yep. amongst ourselves. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that's really interesting about it, we'll we'll bring it up. But and there is something that I'll bring up today that's about the election. But we're just not going to try to do the tick off thing. It's exhausting. Well, can I start with something? Because because I did yeah. get a Twitter message from one of our uh, listeners today. Oh, good. Uh, it, it said there's been with uh, Michael Bloomberg entering the race. Mm. There's been a lot of hyperventilating about, uh, is the field good enough? Are we going to nominate somebody that's unelectable and give Trump a second term? And the question I got was, how worried are you about this field? Mm. And or, or I think the question was, are you worried about this field? Mm. And then it said, you know, all the things like, I'm worried about Warren. I'm worried about Bernie. I'm worried Joe Biden's too old, whatever. Mm-hmm. And my, I had a simple, concise answer, no. You know what you told me a long time ago is that, of course you're worried, right? You're We're Democrats. You're Democrat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's our job. It's our job. It's it's to just be anxious about everything all the time. Yeah. Because what that means is that like you genuinely care about things and you're worried that, that people might be negatively impacted if something doesn't go the right way and it's our job to be worried. That's what we do is we worry. Yeah. And yeah. so it's okay to be worried, but I, what I would say to that person is um, no, I'm not worried. I think we have among the finest people... Um, 
in the country running for office. And I think that um, we can't spend our time hand-wringing about the electability of people or if this person is this or that. Exactly. I think we have to just focus on better things. So, like, what do you like about these people? Don't focus on what you were worried about. Focus on what you like about them. Mm -hmm. And then I think that's why I found my way to Elizabeth Warren as my preferred candidate is that... So many um, things to like. There's so many things. And she's to not like. she's not perfect. No candidate is ever going to be perfect. Barack Obama wasn't perfect. Still isn't. Yeah, we can talk about that. Still too. isn't. But um, he was a great candidate in terms of you know walking the walk. But in terms of like the perfect candidate, you're sure is absolutely going to win, and there's no flaws, and there's nothing that's going to be problematic. You'll never find that candidate. Right. Never. So I got this really good um, metaphor given to me. Um, <clears throat> Via my friend Molly, who's been on the podcast, but it was a, a retweet, and it was um, voting in a primary is not marriage, right? It's not finding, <laughs> and even marriage, you don't find the perfect person, <laughs> yeah, right? R- you, you you settle for the best. <laughs> oh, version. we're not jaded because we're both divorced. Now. Let's not. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's true. There is no perfect person. Right. Everyone has flaws. Yeah. Uh, but the metaphor was voting is not marriage. Voting is the bus. <laughs> is public transportation. So That's interesting. If I don't you, think I've heard this before. If you have a bus that is supposed to come pick you up and the bus doesn't pick you up because the bus got derailed or got in an accident or whatever, you don't just not go to work. Right. You get on a different bus. Right. Right? So, like, that was your preferred bus because it was the fastest and easiest. But you don't just be like, well, I guess I'm quitting my job because my bus didn't come. Yeah. Right? You just figure out a different plan and you get on a different bus and maybe you have to take a train also and then you got to walk a couple blocks. But you don't just not get on the bus and quit your job. You just get on a different bus. Right. And that is primary politics. So <laughs> That's a good, that's right? a good analogy. If your bus doesn't show up, then figure out a different bus. Mm-hmm. Figure out a different public transportation option because you still have to go to work. Yeah, so I'm I'm not going to waste time getting like relitigating all the candidate profiles. Like, right. we've been there, done that. I'm yep. just going to say no. I'm not worried about this field. No. Um, I like I first of all, if I had to throw well, if if there was the perfect candidate out there, who would it be? Like, I can't think. I can think of other just as qualified candidates who might have appeal in a different way, like Sherrod Brown or Stacey Abrams. But in terms of like, oh, the perfect candidate is just sitting out there, and we need to. Dig them find up. The, like, that's not how this works. No. And it's never going to be how this works. And no. so I think the big thing for Democrats is to stop picking apart the problems with the candidates mm-hmm. and start really focusing on who do you like and why? Yeah. And then figure out, you know, I don't care who you like and why. I, I like I'm not going to argue about my choice. I'm not going to shame you about yours. I'm not going to engage in any kind of primary politics at all. I'm going to say we have a really Wow, Blix is an asshole. Sorry, our, our that's cat, my cat. Our, our cat just like out of nowhere sensed a ghost and decided Leaped to leap over the onto computer. The, the podcast system. So thanks. Blixa. But everything's still running. So it's a, a testament to how well everything is set, set up here. Or like his grace and majesty. Not really there was nothing graceful no, about what he just it did. Wasn't, he no. literally jumped off of Rachel's lap, tore like through the laptop, and like kicked over some cords and. Ran into the kitchen because very suddenly he realized that's where he needed to be because that's what cats do. So, anyway. <laughs> anyway, that's what I'd say is I don't, I'm not going to engage in any sort of like party politicking about this. We have a lot of good candidates. I hope you find the one that makes the most sense to you. Um, help them out in whatever way you can and be as like supportive as you can about other people 
um, having their preference. This doesn't need to be a brawl. Yeah. You know? Look, it wasn't that long ago where our best choices were Al Gore and Joe Lieberman. and <laughs> I mean, we've come such a long way. If you're a progressive. Far. We've come pretty far. Yeah, now in terms of like, oh, oh, but they're... They're going to talk about scary socialism. They've literally been doing that since Al Gore and before that. So no matter who we nominate, they're going to... And also, like, it's a different world now. Like, it used to be that socialism was this terrible thing we couldn't talk about, and everyone was against it, and it was a a death knell, right? Like, you couldn't... Mm -hmm. And we're we're in a different world. I think so. Donald Trump's the president. We're going to eat the rich. There's guillotine memes everywhere. Like, I I don't think anybody is really, like, attached to this idea that democratic capitalism is the best system ever because we have Donald Trump. No, and and even the the, uh, working white class types, like, they're ready to eat the rich. They They just need the right message. Yep. And they need something that's going to resonate. And I think our people have got that largely. Well, so. I think they have enough to win. I don't think they're going to win over a lot of those people necessarily, but I think they can figure out uh, enough. But I, again, I'm not going to get too wrapped up in. Yeah. Uh, do we want to even talk about Bloomberg? Another rich asshole throwing no. his name in the in I think the ring. I, all I want to say about it is, I think it's hilarious that he's like, "I'm the billionaire choice," and you're like, "Because we love billionaires so much." He's right not now. the only billionaire choice, though. There's literally another one but like, who that's, managed what, to make the debate station stire. So, uh, no, I, <laughs> do, I literally could care about nothing less than fucking Bloomberg wasting some of his billions of dollars on trying to have a vanity project where nobody likes him and he's going to just have his feelings hurt. Like, I don't care. Yeah, the New New York media is very excited about it because they know Bloomberg. Oh, no, he's actually a really nice guy. I'm sure he He is. Fuck him. After a presser, he shook my hand. It's like, who gives a fuck? Great. I don't care. Yeah. Don't care. Nobody else does either. (laughs) No, No. he's not going to draw flies. It's like, I I don't know why there's this feeling. Uh, First of all, if you want a centrist, there's one that's leading. His name is Biden. Secondly, like, if you... Like, where is the appetite in our party for we need a rich asshole to come save us? Uh, really put pretty much on the platform of don't take too many of my taxes because it's bad for the economy at large. Because that's where Bloomberg's going. Like, what is Bloomberg going to do? Is He's he gonna- running as Ronald Reagan. Oh, good. Trickle down economics. Yeah, great. Great. That's not who we are. We never have been. And certainly not in this moment. So that's all I want to say about Bloomberg. Yeah. Um, you know, every time one of these billionaire assholes throws their name in the ring and draws one or two percent at best, I imagine the Dark Knight, the scene where the Joker has a giant pile of money and he just lights it on fire. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's what these people are doing. Yeah. Like, imagine, think about this for a second, right? What if Tom Steyer, no, Tom Steyer, remember, his thing was he was running all the ads and the billboards and everything. We have to impeach, we have to impeach, we have to impeach. Okay, we're impeaching now, so... Mm-hmm. Good so job. You- Move on to something else. Go mm-hmm. save the environment. You know. Right. Something. But no, now it's a vanity project. I have to be president. Like, okay. Imagine if Bloomberg and Steyer and uh, I, I think John Delaney's a super rich guy too. Uh, not as rich as them, but I think like, what if these guys all focused all that money and attention and organization into literally anything? Literally, else. a climate change, uh, juvenile diabetes. Homelessness. Um, prison reform. Homelessness. Pay off all of our student loan debt. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you do that? Because guess what? Like, it'll, You're never it, going to be president. It'll cost less than what you're doing with this bullshit, uh, you know, vanity candidacy. And so much greater good could be done. Right? That's so, what frustrates me the most, I think. People are like, yeah. oh, if Tom Steyer wants to set his money on fire, fine. And I'm like, what? I think don't of want, what he, how he could I, put it to use. Right. 
That's money. Now, it is his money, and he's free to do it, but I'm free to say you're a fucking egotistical prick. And it's only his money for a short time, because I'm about to tax the fuck out of it. (laughs) I'm about to take a whole bunch of it away from him and do precisely those things with it. Because clearly, he is not very good at being a steward of his own finances. (laughs) So I'm about to become the steward of his finances and take it away from him and do something valuable with it. On the subject, let's talk about... um Bill Gates and him whining about oh Elizabeth God. Warren's proposed wealth tax. Right. This is a tweet, right? Oh, yeah, well, it, it's no, I think it came from an interview. Okay. So I just tweeted. saw that. Yeah. And he's basically like, you know, I can live with being taxed $3 billion, $10 billion, or, 10 billion, or but, $20 billion. But then when I'm looking at Elizabeth Warren's plan, I have to wonder how much I'll have left. And he says, but when you start looking at $100 billion, I'm going to have to start doing some math. Okay. First of all, um, Bill Gates is lying to you and he's not that stupid. Mm-hmm. Bill Gates understands, like he knows the math and if he's bothered to read and understand the plan at all, he knows like he's not going to be taxed nearly <clears throat> that much. He will be able to keep the vast majority of his billions. So he'll get certainly taxed more than he's taxed now mm-hmm. on the wealth he has. Yeah. But it's like minuscule <laughs> compared also, to what he's talking the thi- about. The, the, the thing that's so frustrating about this is like it's – it's deceitful in so many ways because yeah. his wealth creates more wealth. Yes. So like having a billion dollars isn't like that's it. That's what you have for the rest of your life is a billion dollars. That billion dollars That's not what billionaires do, no. Is invested so that all you do is live Make off money. of a percentage, a very small percentage of the interest just imagining that you had one billion dollars, mm-hmm. right? The interest that is garnered on that $1 billion from investments is enough to live three lifetimes. Yeah. And the yeah. $1 billion the stays intact. We're not talking about the capital. No. The $1 billion stays intact. Just the interest on that $1 billion is enough for, for you and everyone you know to live very comfortably for the rest of eternity. So this person did this uh, experiment and imagined that Bill Gates made no more money for the rest of his life. Yeah. And he was actually taxed $1 billion a year. Or $100 billion, whatever it was. Right? And they found through this very complicated thing that I read through and didn't understand entirely, that he would, if he never made an, another single dollar any day of his life and was taxed this $100 billion, he would be 384 years old before he would have to sell a single property in order to have money. Yeah. So unless Bill Gates wants to live to 384 years old. Which he probably does. <laughs> and he never makes another dollar again yeah. through the course of his life, and no interest is accrued and nothing else happens. He would have to live to be 384 years old to be in any kind of financial situation that was detrimental to him mm-hmm. if he was taxed $100 billion. Right. So I don't really know what to do with that. Like, fuck him. Fuck all the billionaires. There's only 600 yeah, of them there in the United States. There shouldn't be billionaires is the no. problem. Yes. Correct. When you're amassing that much wealth for yourself, that's the problem. Yes. To begin with. Yes. So I I have no sympathy for Bill Gates. None. No, I have no sympathy for any billionaire. There's 600 of them in the United States. It's always been, if if you've acquired that much capital, it is inevitably on the backs of working people and poor people. Any amount of wealth that you amass is on the backs of working people because you are exploiting their labor. Yeah. That's it. Now, Bill Gates, do you not think that when they built all those Windows PCs and, and you know, back in the 80s and 90s that it wasn't in Malaysian sweatshops? Like He knows exactly where his labor comes from. Yeah. And it wasn't because he worked real hard. 
No, actually, in his case, he just stole a bunch of existing technology and learned how to market it. <laughs> I mean, literally, fuck billionaires yeah. is the point of this segment. Yeah, just no, just no. Um. Okay, so I've got a couple of things I want to talk about today. Where would you like to start? Uh, let's start anywhere you like. Okay, so um, I want to talk about. Let's not do local politics right away because I think. Some people don't love that as much as I do. Okay. Um, mm, let's talk about... No, I think I do want to talk about that because it <laughs> okay. spirals into a couple of other things that have nothing... So this is not strictly local politics. This is something that, again, Colorado has sort of become this weird um, testing ground for things that may or may not happen later. Right. Um, and tied into greater electoral politics in general. So this will be our only sort of politicky part. Well, we had an election this week. We did. Start with that. On Tuesday. So that's what I want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so you may remember that back in 2018, we had a congressional race in Aurora, Congressional District 6, um, where this motherfucker, Mike Kaufman, been was forever. a congressman who's never lost an election. Yeah. And we've, we've run some really fantastic people against him over the course of his term and he never lost. And right. then we got this guy, Jason Crow, who beat him. Yep. And finally, right, Mike Kaufman's out. Mike Kaufman is a Republican. He is a dick. Um, <laughs> he is. He's, he's tried to rebrand as a centrist very, in the age of Trump. Yeah, like as the wind, no one, no as one the wind blows is sort of his uh, political stance. But he's also very politically smart. Like he actually he goes into immigrant neighborhoods and yes. ingratiates himself. And that's, yes. he doesn't win a huge majority of them, but he wins enough of them to, yeah. you know. He's a good politician. He's yeah. smart. Yes. And he knows how to message. And he doesn't come off like a lunatic. Yeah. Um, he comes off as a very like centered, smart, calm guy. Right. Which is why a lot of people who might not necessarily vote for Republicans are like, but Mike Kaufman's He's different. fine. He's, He's a nice fine. guy. He's, He's a nice I've guy. I shook his hand. He yeah. seems great. So he lost, which we were really excited about. Yeah. And we had a municipal election this year. And the mayor of Aurora, Colorado has really strict term limits on almost every elected office. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes the mayor of Aurora. Aurora is the fifth largest city. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. It's, it's one of the largest cities in the state and one of the most diverse. It's the fifth most diverse city in the country. Yeah. Um, and that diversity comes from immigrants. Yeah, mostly. there's a big West African immigrant population. But there's also like Mexican, all Americans. kinds of like uh, Korean. There's a huge Korean community. Yeah. There's a, just a, it's a melting pot. I mean, it is yeah. a large and incredibly diverse city, which is why you can find the best fucking food in Aurora that you could imagine. Like any kind of food from around the world you want to eat. There's some place in Aurora that yeah. somebody who used to live in that country or region is cooking authentically. It's that, amazing. It's like Houston in that respect. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, but so other anyway, than that, it's a terrible place to live. It's, it's, it's a mess. It's a fucking mess. So, First of all, it's, it's just sprawling, obnoxious um, suburbia. Yes. Just strip malls and traffic yeah. and garbage. Yeah. And then there's these little pockets of community Culture, but like yeah. there's just it's it's a tough tough city like there's no music venues there's right. very few like right. arts venues right there's, there's no museums yeah there's it, no th that's all in denver even though a shit ton of people live in aurora right and a lot of the people that live in aurora live there because it's cheaper to live there and then they commute into denver the yeah, city it's cheaper to live there so you have car dealerships and targets and yeah chipotles yeah. and then like 
these really dense pockets of immigrant communities that have like really good things but like mostly it's just a suburb but it's a suburb that has sprawled so far that it's a really big city at it's this huge point. but yeah. there's almost no culture culture and there's no yeah. business community to speak of in terms of like jobs that are not retail jobs right so right. everybody who lives there has to work in the city which is denver and so it's unable to sort of support itself economically with its own like business culture there's no like law firms and like tech places there's it just doesn't exist all that's in denver right so it's struggling um it has a huge problem with the police department um aurora police i have intimate knowledge of and also um has been the is so corrupt and so brutal that uh the aclu has stepped in and is suing the city of aurora um in a very very long (laughs) complaint that you can read online um, detailing the many, many, many cases of murder um, and uh, use of force and brutality um, and cases in which the city had to settle for tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, that's overall. just like operating costs for them is settling police brutality yes, all the time. All the time, constantly. So, all right, so Mayor, oh, also, Aurora is the site of our uh, immigrant detention centers. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest one is owned by the private prison group GEO. Yep. Um, and it's been the site of lots of massive protests, um, but it is currently he- holding these immigrant you know, kids and families that we talk about on a national level. Um, and there's been a lot of movement around, like, how do we, like, end these contracts with GEO and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. this is the sort of, like thing this is the the environment in which this election is happening so the former republican mayor uh is term limited and so um the two candidates that came out uh after the primaries were mike kaufman uh and former congressman who we just ousted and the head of the naacp in i think it's colorado but it might just be aurora um and so the election happened and uh Everyone said Mike Kaufman won, and that doesn't turn out to be true. No, really. The election is undecided. Um, it's within 237 votes as of this moment. Whoa! I because yeah, yeah. On, on election we're gonna night, talk about he, he the media narrative around this. Is what we're gonna yeah, talk I about. I didn't know this is news yeah. to me. Yeah. So this is the headline of the article that just came out. This is the most recent headline. From the Denver Post, which is a garbage fucking paper, but it is the biggest paper in... um, Yeah, it just got bought by a private equity group, and it's, you know... Yeah. Mike Kaufman likely winner in wild Aurora election. Previous headlines were Mike Kaufman, new Aurora mayor. Mike Kaufman, new Aurora mayor, right? All over all the publications in Colorado. Mike Kaufman's the new mayor. Yeah. When I went to bed, he was ahead by like 5 or 6%. He was on NPR talking about what his goals and plans were. Yeah, yeah. They interviewed him as the mayor-elect. Um, yes. And Omar Montgomery, um, who is the person that ran against him, not on NPR. <laughs> no. Not on NPR talking no. about anything. So, um, yeah, as of right now, uh, it's 273 votes. Um, okay. So that's going to trigger probably a recount no matter what, but like, uh, there are still 1000 ballots that need voters to correct signature discrepancies before they can be counted. Huh? Um, there are also overseas and military ballots that have yet to arrive and have not yet been counted. Those probably would help Kaufman. Omar is not conceding as he should not. No, of course not. Our friend Ashley Wheeland is his spokesperson said late Thursday, 
We believe we owe it to our community to make sure every vote is counted. Sure. Yeah. Hoffman also hasn't called the race yet. Okay, to his credit. Um, he estimates there are about 650 Aurora ballots in Arapahoe and Adams County combined that need to be cured. Okay. Uh, because we have a mail-in system, um, the signature process is, like, we have a very secure election system in yeah. Colorado, even though it's mail-in, and so when your Should signature on the back of the envelope doesn't match the signature that the state has on file for you, they tag them. And then those ballots aren't counted unless it becomes something like 273 votes decide who the mayor is. And right. then they go through those and try to cure them to make sure the person who put the ballot in um, is the person who they say they are. So that's the thing that nobody knows. And here's the thing I think is really interesting is that the media just decided that Mike Kaufman won. And they're running with this idea that Mike Hoffman won. And you didn't know he didn't win, and I no. didn't know he didn't win, and nobody knew he didn't win. I have a very dear friend who uh, worked on Mike Hoffman's staff um, as a uh, door knocker. Um, I'm sorry, not Mike Hoffman. <laughs> Omar's staff. Yeah, I was confused uh, for a second. Like, He's who a paid you know? canvasser. Okay. Um, he knocked... Last day of the election, 175 doors in one day, which is like, Good job. I want him to be on every campaign. It's a dream. Um, mm-hmm. <coughs> and it's how I found out that he, they're not conceding, didn't lose. Not yet. And so when this, this makes me have a question and a conversation I want to have around when the media decides something and that's all we hear, doesn't it make it sort of true? And yeah, and how does that relate to what's happening in Kentucky, right? Where there was this very close race between the incumbent governor uh, Bevin and uh, the Bashir, Bashir, right? Bashir, yeah. Bashir mm-hmm. won. Yeah, by, by about more 5, than five thousand votes. votes. Yeah, and that should be that, right? And the entirety of Kentucky's government is run by Republicans. Yes. It's a giant upset that a Democrat won. And so, in the media, I think largely in Kentucky, is run by conservatives who do not want this man to be their governor. And so there's this weird thing happening where they're like, well, we have other remedies, right? We have other (laughs) ways of making sure that this person who won a Democratic election isn't actually going to be the governor. Yeah. And... The media is being like, it's not really stolen. This is legal because of this and that. And I'm looking at this like, okay, we're just done pretending. Then, at this well, point. then the national media isn't saying that. And, and um, they're, they're so, okay, I'm not going to get too much into it, but they're saying some very weird things. The uh, like the Republican Secretary of State has said like, well, I think Bevin really should win because all the libertarians would have. You know, if a libertarian wasn't on the ticket, would have voted for for Bevin, Bevin. and other weird yes. shit like that. So we're going to give him and, other and, votes. And now Bevin's talking about voter fraud without any evidence. Yes. Um, now it's it's it is codified into Kentucky state law that if there is a contested election, that the Congress, the state Congress, uh, determines how to uncontest it. Essentially, yeah. But uh, let me, but the the contestation okay. has to be something that's based legit. On yeah, you have to have some evidence. evidence. But this is literally like if. I don't know, Rick Santorum won the governor of California. Everyone would be like, no, how do we make that not happen, right? And like people would be using whatever they could do to make sure that that 
person who won this election is not actually their fucking governor. They would right? try at least. Right. And that's what's happening right now. And uh, it's- ultimately, though, you would have to be pretty fascistly brazen to just say, well, you know what? We're just going to say now that Bevin's the winner. Like it, it would be a it would be Nash international uproar. I agree. And 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 I think the Supreme Court of the United States would actually step That's the problem in. is that this is not a federal issue. There is really no jurisdiction for any federal court to get involved in this. This is codified into the state constitution. This is a states rights issue. And so I was reading this article written by <clears throat> a guy who was talking to a bunch of lawyers and they were like, I mean, you would think that it will be a huge scandal and it would be absolutely unconscionable if this were to happen, but there is really no federal oversight that can happen in a state election, especially when they're following the laws of the state constitution. Like, th- this is not a federal issue. This is so, a state issue. Okay, I'll grant you, it is possible that the uh, Republican legislature could just say, like, whatever uh, Bevin were to come up with. And say, yeah. oh, here's my evidence of voter fraud, and it's some bullshit. And they, oh no, oh, no, that looks good to us, and you know we're gonna go ahead and you know certify the election this way. Like, yeah, sure, th- in theory they could do that, but like, I feel like can they, they really get away with that? Well, that's my question. I don't know. I think we broke it. <laughs> I think in this age, in this time, when we're talking about impeaching the president, and and. In any other world, these things would not be debatable, and yet his team and and the media seem to be able to push this needle back to this place where, like, yes, he's committed crimes, but, like, who cares? You know, like, Mm -hmm. yeah, no, it is quid pro quo, and yes, he did it, and also, I don't care, and I'm not going to impeach him anyway. Like, we're at this point on a national level. I don't know why a state legislature wouldn't be like, look... We have the power because, to just fuck him. Because you think of how everything would swarm. You, you're talking about the ACLU getting involved yeah. and protests from all over the country and just more of a headache and a nightmare than it's potentially worth. Uh, really, I think the pop... Remember, more than half of Kentucky residents did not vote for Bevin, yeah. so they're going to be pretty pissed off. Um, I think even those idiot Republicans in the legislature would know that like, maybe we can't really go that far. Well, and he was a really unpopular. For various uh, reasons. Right. Yeah. So, like, even among the Republican Party, he's not a popular guy. No. So a lot of people are saying, like, the reason he lost isn't because there's a blue wave, but because he's an asshole. What they're more likely to do is what they did with Evers in Wisconsin is try to strip a lot of power from the governor's seat. Right. And then try to make him lame. Which is also just, like, Which completely, a- like, anti- everything that we are supposed to be doing. But, but legal, whatever. we've just smashed, Republicans have but smashed all the norms. Whatever, this is also legal. They yeah. can make him the governor and it would be legal. Right. It would be entirely legal for them to do so, is all I'm saying. But it would, that be, is a, it would be much easier to get away with just stripping the governor's him, house of a lot of power, or yeah, trying to. And giving it back when there's a Republican back right, in office. Right, yeah. Which right. is just, I mean, I don't Which know is how, I should live in Kentucky, likely. though, like, what the fuck? Um, I don't know how you <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's there. an evergreen message, right? If you live in Kentucky, what the fuck? Yeah. So, anyway, like, that's, I just think, like, talking about, it, it just feels to me that the media has always been sort of like whatever they call it, like the, the fourth arm of the government, fourth branch of the government, right? But it feels to me more like it's the only branch that matters these days, that whatever the media says and does, and, and as long as they have consensus that that's what we hear and that's what... Democracy has become the spin zone. Mm-hmm. It's become this place where 
we don't really know, and so whatever's being told to us is what we believe. Right, Chuck Chuck Todd's version of democracy. Right. Like, who, who's going to win the spin game? And so then what we have to really look at is who's controlling the media. Right. Who's in the media, who's being listened to, who's in the room. And then that becomes a larger conversation around, you know, if that's true and the media is the fourth branch of government and whatever we are told by the media is what becomes true and what becomes democracy, then... It is literally the like it, white supremacy, right? Like white male. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like that's dangerous. Well, we know about Sinclair Broadcasting and how they control all these local stations all over the country, and they push this narrative. And we obviously know about Fox News. And hey, we are learning a lot about ABC and NBC, and then covering up all their horrible. Uh, burying the Weinstein story and covering up. You just um, look at like who yeah. owns media. Powerful. It's not men. a bunch of black women. <laughs> no. You know, it's no. not a bunch of like queer folks. No. Nope. It's not a bunch of anybody except a bunch of old white men. Yep. And if that who is get who controls the media and the media is basically who controls the function of our democracy, we fucking broke it. Yeah. It's done. I mean, we're in a place where like I don't know what's gonna happen if a man who was duly elected governor of Kentucky just doesn't get to be governor because they don't want him to be? Like, I don't know. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and to Aurora's point, you know, I look at, I was talking to our friend of the podcast, Jermaine, and we're talking about, like, the DNC needs to watch really carefully what happens in Aurora because and around the media because we don't want to make the same sort of mistake we made in 2016 about this is the person who's going to win, or this is the only person who can win. Right. The media says Joe Biden is the only person who can win. And, and then that becomes the narrative, and then that becomes what the DNC does, and then it it kills our chance of electing somebody that everybody sort of likes, or that it is a consensus among the base. Right. Right? Like, this, these, there are lessons here mm-hmm. on a larger scale, I think. Well, and right now, the media is working really hard on, you know, nobody likes Elizabeth Warren. They're trying to paint yeah. her with the same brush as Hillary Clinton. For obvious reasons, um, so you know. I wonder what those reasons would be. <laughs> it's just coincidence. It's right? just weird that like both She's of them are women, and people are calling them shrill and unlikable, dissimilar in almost every other way. Yeah, we're we're, we're seeing those headlines about being unlikable and uh, scolding. Yes. Yeah, and hectoring, and yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I will say that um, this. Uh, consortium, I guess, uh, of black women just endorsed Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the the most well-known and, and beloved leaders um, in the black community uh, just came out for Elizabeth Warren. And a lot of them said, like, I didn't, was, wasn't even going to endorse anybody. Like, I didn't, I don't have a favorite. I didn't care. And then, like, she just, er- <laughs> like, just sort of, like, eroded that apathy over time mm-hmm. to become somebody that I really, truly, like, believed in and cared about. And I think that says something. And what um, did they get drowned out by yesterday? God. I don't know. I plot. Trump's Black Voter Initiative. Oh, I, yeah. My bubble's too big. In Georgia. I, I don't know about that. And oh boy, was the media excited about that. And they found like this one black woman in this focus group that talked about how great the economy is. So yes, she loves Trump. And they replayed that 8,000 times. Because for some reason, that's a story. It's not presented as the cynical ploy that it is. 
it is presented as, oh, Trump is launching this this black voter outreach, as if like there's any modicum of sincerity. I'm literally in a in bubble because I did not hear about this, but I literally follow like <laughs> well, lucky for black you. women on Twitter. So all yeah, I heard well, about not all day, talking about that. All I heard about all day was like the black women for Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, and yeah, I was they're, all they're, excited they're, about it. It was wonderful. the black women on Twitter you follow are not going to talk about Trump's initiative unless to like be like laugh at it, right? No, they literally not. I didn't hear a single yeah. thing about it. That's I don't care about well, that. But that's MSNBC the thing, right? Really and, like, excited about it. All of the mainstream media, that's what they want to cover because it's weird. And not like the actual story, which is, you know, voters in the Democratic base have been doing a lot of careful thinking about the actual candidates and what they've been doing. Uh And the actual base of the Democratic Party, which is black women and black voters generally, have decided that like their fave is Elizabeth Warren. And also they kind of have a hard on for Julian Castro. Yeah, and if we don't talk and they about like, that, they like Biden. A lot of them still like Biden. Not the ones I follow, but like sure. if we, but many do. But if nobody else outside the bubble hears that, if nobody knows that she might be a viable candidate because our actual base is coming out to support her in, you know, November of 2019, they're already just like, "This is our lady." If no one else hears that, then. When you have some New York Times article that says, is likability a problem for Elizabeth Warren? I don't know. And that's the only thing you hear. And you're like, oh, shit, I guess I can't vote for Elizabeth Warren because nobody likes her. And you're like, hold on. Literally, this entire group of people just came out and said, this is our person. And we have this entire coalition behind her and all of this fundraising support and all of this mobilization. And we are literally have an entire group of hundreds of thousands of people who are going to vote for her and everyone's like well but is she likable and it's like who fucking cares stop talking like I don't know how to fix that circling back to our initial conversation yeah about are we worried about the candidates well the media very much wants you to be because they want to create a narrative that no democrat is perfect or likable and they're all too flawed and Trump's going to get a second term right so stop listening to the media I guess I feel like I sound like the president but like (laughs) at least op-eds you know, like, oh God, seek yeah. out different things. No, op eds are uh, useless. Uh, and, and like, who look at the people who write the op eds? They're all conservative washouts, right? Or wannabe. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's Maureen Dowd and Brett Stevens and David Brooks and, and Hugh guy. Hewitt. And like, why, that why guy would you Doohat? read that? Ross Dowd. 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 What yeah. the fuck ever his name is? He's yeah. a goddamn nightmare. Mini David Brooks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good lead in. We only have a couple minutes left till the break, but it's a good lead into Hey Boomer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Boomer. Whatever it is. Okay, I, Boomer is, is what it is. The meme, the meme, like every time I think, okay, we've had fun with this and the memes played out, like some Boomer says something ridiculous and it's like, oh, oh okay, God, here we go not. again. Like uh, there was a big article yesterday. I forgot what publication it was in. It was like, okay, let's stop with the okay, Boomer kids. It's I'm, I'm getting upset now. <laughs> I'm getting very irritated. It's very upsetting. Then there is this other hot take, which is this is ageist. It's a slur no better than the N-word. And you're like, oh, my God. Well, of course, written by a white person. Referring to your generation by the name of your generation is the same. I mean, you must feel pretty bad about your generation. Then there was the hot take of, I find it weirdly complimentary because it means that we matter. And we've had such a cultural impact that you refer oh, yes, to my you generation yes, you have. by our name because we matter more than you. But I, I fear for you that you don't think that you can have that much of an impact. And so... I, I just feel sorry for you when you say, okay, boomer. And that's like saying someone calls you a cunt and you're like, 
<laughs> I feel sorry for you because you like it's it's just like no you don't you feel pissed off at me and, so you're and trying you're to trying be to minimize and condescend yeah. to me yeah. and it's not that's not working so also um, the number of times in every publication on earth that has referred to millennial as a slur as a word <laughs> that means something bad we learn millennial means that it's bad yeah you, go you, fuck yourself okay boomer you say millennial and you, you you see like a hipster on an ipad in a coffee shop yep complaining that avocado toast is 12 dollars now and how are they going to make rent right that's what you think when you hear millennial even like my bosses at work are like those millennials and i'm like i'm a millennial by the way <laughs> also frank so are you like millennials are like in their 30s and 40s. Yeah, us millennials are trying to keep your uh, coastal timeshare from going underwater. How dare we? Anyway, um, what was I going to say? Oh, you ever notice that anytime somebody says, saying this thing uh, that uh, that pertains to me is like using the N-word is always said by a white person? Yeah, right? <laughs> Every single time. Every single time. I would also like to note, for Gen Z listeners, I don't know if we have any. I hope we do, because I love y'all. Um... They're the ones that came up with this. Hey, Boomer? Yeah. Okay, Boomer. It's not Hey, Boomer. It's Okay, Boomer. Whatever. It's yeah. dismissive, right? It's like, you say something ridiculous and, and I go, tune it out. Okay, Boomer. It's Because what the, the point is, is not that like, it's to be dismissive of you. It's uh-huh. to say, it's not even worth it to have an argument with you because you, you're not worth my time to even engage. Right. Is why it pisses them off so much. Because millennials like me, were like trying to like have the fight. And Gen Z is just like, okay, boomer, like I'm done with y'all. You, you, we're not. You're not even worth a fucking another breath of my air or a thought in my head. You are literally not worth it. Right. And that's what makes them so mad because those <laughs> youngsters don't think I'm valuable anymore. And it's like, no, we don't. We should probably have Arliss back on the podcast to to discuss this a little bit. I know. I have a good friend Claudia who is a uh, boomer and took to my Facebook page about it, and you know, I love her and many boomers but y'all are living in fantasy if you think you did us favors and that your life wasn't just as hard and like a lot of these people are using like anecdotal evidence well I grew up with a single mom on welfare and and it's like that's not the fucking point well you know there were there were definitely things about our parents generation that were harder Um, and we we lived at the tail end of a lot of those when you talk about lack of technology and certain things like that it's like no we lived that we remember um, and like, yeah, I get it, but that, that really has nothing to do with what we're discussing now when it's come, like the really important things like being able to afford a home and not being saddled with tremendous student loan debt and not looking at the planet melting in front of right. your eyes. Like, okay, you had to walk four miles, you know, to school. Wow. That sucks. Yeah. Gotcha. But, um, the school wasn't underwater. Right? right, or you didn't leave school and then have a bill you'll never be able to pay for going to school, <laughs> like, you know. Right. I mean, my my friend Lori said something really profound about this. She said, you know, when when you say your parents said the same thing to you, which is you have it better than I did, and then you say that to millennials, the fact is that you had it better than both the previous generation and this generation. That's right. So the greatest generation, or whatever you want to call it, set y'all up really well, provided for this incredible infrastructure and social safety net. And then you took advantage of all of that and then destroyed it all so that the next generation didn't have any of it. So you had the boomers in point of fact had it better than their parents and had it better than their children. That's just facts. My my parents were able to buy a nice 
um, suburban home, a nice good-sized suburban home in a major U.S. city in the 80s on a couple teacher salaries. And I think mostly one teacher salary. Um, that's not a thing anymore. That's not a thing that exists anymore. No. No. I mean, sure, maybe you could find like a place in suburban Missouri you where came you could still from maybe wealth do that. And you didn't have any student loan debt and your parents were able to pay your down payment. And well, not, well, even yeah. then, you couldn't afford the mortgage. If you're a couple self-made teachers. And you wouldn't be able to have kids. No. And you'd have to have a trust fund, probably. If you were, if you were in a major city, most major cities, on two teacher salaries, you're probably you're living... You're renting a condo. You're, you're renting a condo at best. Probably in living in an apartment like we are. Yep. You're living in, in the suburbs in a, in a condo, or you're living in a city in a tiny apartment. Or, or and you, you don't may, have kids. You're able to buy a house, and that's all you can afford. And you have You one never car. go on vacation. You never yeah. go out to dinner. You never have any luxuries. You share a car, and but you have a home. Yep. Like, that's the reality we live in now, and our parents kind of, like, if we hold them down to it, they're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess that's true. My but, dad, literally the other night we had a fight about this, and he just said to me, we're just going to have to agree to disagree because I just don't see it that way. Yeah, but you're not trying to buy. I mean, you sure you bought a cabin in the mountains, but, but like <laughs> you know, just on the fundamental, like my generation is different. We live in a different economy and a different world than you do. Yeah, and it sucks more. And he just can't. He's just like, I don't want to hear facts. I don't want to hear information. Right. I just don't. Dis- I just disagree with you. Right. And it's like because if you heard the facts, You'd have you to would have to acknowledge that I'm right. That's right. So, okay, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, We're going to come back, and we got a whole bunch more stuff to talk about. Yeah, I do. So stay with us. Welcome back to Reverend Testimony. A little self, shameless self-promotion for the interstitial break. You heard a song, and you're going to also hear a song on the outro from my band's newest album. My band, of course, is Married a Dead Man, and the new album is called Awakening. It is available for purchase and download at iTunes and Spotify and all kinds of things on November 22nd. So look for that, and uh, we're going to go ahead and... Can I just say it's really good? <laughs> it's not. really good. And like Thank they you. worked really hard on it and like it's it's really fucking good. We worked with a platinum producer. Real yeah. true story. Yeah. Like an actual professional 
and it's really good and they're going to go on tour if you live in the following states uh, oh we're talking about the tour okay yeah, we're going to be in uh, check our website marriedadeadman.com we're going to be in Albuquerque Santa Fe uh, we're going to Phoenix we're going to Tucson we're going to Salt Lake City and I think I'm forgetting one but yeah so. yeah if you can make it out to any of those shows uh We'll put the dates on the thing and look at the website. It's really good, and I'm really proud of them. And it's also just a group of like really remarkably good human beings that I really care about. Oh, so that's sweet of you. Um, check them out, and uh, yeah, yeah. If you're interested in seeing my band, you can come shake my hand. If you yeah, you can come meet Trav. <laughs> Isn't that exciting? And I may be at the Santa Fe show. I may try to get down there. Um, so I might be able to meet both of us if you're in New Mexico. All right, so we're going to pivot away from Washington politics and talk about some uh, other stuff. Stuff. I'll, I'll kind of let you take it away, Rach. Do you know about what's happening with this rapper T.I. and what happened? Uh, you sort of peripherally, last yeah, time I talked to you. I, I don't know the specifics. I know he's saying a lot of really weird things about his 18-year-old daughter, like really weird things, almost that I, I thought they were maybe tongue-in-cheek, like about checking her hymen and to make sure she's still a virgin. Or no, I, it's way worse than that, but yes. It's worse than that? Yeah. How could it possibly be worse? All right, so... All right, <clears throat> very, just, very famous rapper, T.I., who I actually, prior to this, uh, liked and had a lot of respect for. Um went on a podcast called Ladies Like Us. And it was a long, sprawling conversation. And at one point, they asked him about whether he'd had the sex talk with his kids. And oh boy, did that not go well. Um, he said, not only do I have, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't have the transcript up. And since uh, this blew up, all over everything. Mm -hmm. um, they've taken down this podcast. Um, and I what? think that... <laughs> oh, T.I.'s publicist got it taken down, probably. I don't think so. Uh, I think that they they published a, an apology, the women who run the podcast, because when this conversation was happening, they sort of nervously laughed and didn't do anything, say anything. They probably didn't take it seriously. No, no, no. They took it very seriously. Okay. It's very serious. He was not kidding around. All right. What Let's he said was, um, and again, I'm paraphrasing, um, not only do I have the sex talk, but every year on my daughter's birthday, since she was 15, um, she gets to celebrate her birthday and open her presents and have cake. And then the next day, there's a note on her door that says, gyno, 8 a.m. And I take her to the gynecologist and I ask the gynecologist to inspect her hymen to make sure it's intact. <sighs> and that, okay. the gynecologist has told me before, you know, the hymen can be um, not intact for lots of reasons, like riding horses, riding bikes, doing sports. There's a lot of reasons why the hymen's not intact. And I always tell that, oh, first the doctor says, sorry, backing up, um, you know, you, you this is like you need to have your daughter's permission. And he says, um, I look at her and I say, I have your permission, right? There's nothing you want to tell me? Okay, good. Doc, we're fine. And then the doctor tells him there's lots of reasons the hymen can be broken. And he says, look, Doc, she's not riding any horses. She's not riding any bikes. She doesn't do sports. Get me my results back expeditiously. 
which is a term he uses a lot because expeditiously contains the letters T-I in order, and so he that's sort oh. of his thing. Oh, good. And then he says, um, to date, as of her 18th birthday, her hymen is still intact. So. There's a lot. Where to start? To unpack there. Um, Yeah, just a little bit, right? Right. We can talk about medically, physiologically, why that's not a thing. Yeah, it's lunacy. We can talk about um, the incredible breach of this young woman's privacy um, and what horror she's been through online since this has happened. Yeah, they're going after her online. That's insane. She's been getting... No, no, no. What's happened to her is a lot of people tweeting at her and around her about, let me pop your cherry. Oh, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. God. Um, Men. And then there's the, I guess what I want to talk about is this, uh, there's a lot to unpack, but they did this reality show, I guess, Tiny and T.I., and Tiny, I guess, is his wife. And, oh, so that's, there's a lot. So, Tiny is his wife, and um, on the reality show, it was uncovered somehow during a conversation that his 15-year-old son had had sex. And that was sort of, like, no big deal, just a thing that, like, (laughs) his mom found out or whatever. So, like, there's that But the daughter can't. And then, at the end of this little rant, he was talking about his wife. And about um, how when they got married, half of everything that is hers is his, and that includes her vagina. And so there is no such thing as her saying no, because half of her vagina is his. And he has access to that half, which is his, anytime he wants. And so just withholding sex is not a thing that's allowed when I own half of what is mine. Actually, the law says otherwise. but So we have a mix of childhood abuse, marital rape disgusting sexist ownership of women sex positivity is not even a thing we can get into at this point um this doctor who should be have his license taken away um like there's a lot to unpack here um can i can i back up because i don't know much about ti yeah like is his thing that he's like a born again Christian no. or no 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 okay so no. so it's not like no, he, no, 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 he no. was like no no he uh, went to jail and like he's out and like he had this sort of redemption story and like so wait hold on though is part of the redemption story like no I regret no. having all the sex when no. I was younger no <laughs> not at all okay so that I'm just trying to understand where he's coming from is it just the old I own my daughter's body. I own body. my daughter's body. Okay. Yes. All right. That, I mean, that I understand. I just want to... I want to... Yeah. Right. We're not doing it a religious thing here. No. Yeah. This it, is not a Christian like, purity I, test. Okay. Which also okay. I would like to point out, there's a lot of people that have been doing some racist things around this that I would like to just shut that shit down. This is not a toxic black men situation. <laughs> no, it's right? A, it's a toxic This is situation. a yeah. toxic men and particularly toxic fatherhood situation Mm -hmm. this is about the idea that fathers have and we joke about it a lot in our culture and in our society about i'm gonna have a shotgun ready at the front door and i'm gonna have a a shotgun shell with your name on it and i'm gonna you know protect my daughter's daughter's purity virtue right? right but it's 
it's really even more pervasive in white culture. If oh, you yeah. look at evangelicals, oh, right? And yeah. like the purity ring, the purity ball, the like entire notion that you marry Promise your dad rings. in front of a bunch of other old people, old men, and say, I promise not to have sex until you give me to my husband. Right. Like this is not a toxic black culture thing. This is a toxic masculinity, fatherhood, ownership of women situation. Yep. So I just want to clear that right up. Um, but it really is about this, even like, I think just bringing up the marital rape thing, like that's just an extension of that, right? It is about ownership of women's bodies and ownership, not just of their bodies, but of their sexuality and owning your daughter's sexuality means she doesn't get to have one and owning your wife's sexuality means she doesn't get to control it. Right. It's yours. Right. And in, in each case it is controlled entirely by this patriarchal figure. Uh-huh. In that we literally, as women, your personhood, your autonomy, your sexuality, which is an integral part of who you are as a human being, is controlled by a man. And it is transferred from your father to your husband. It is never yours. Right. Ever. And that informs a lot of our culture. I mean, this is sort of the like most like bare naked version of that that's just like someone said it out loud but what are anti-abortion laws really about yeah what are anti-reproductive health choices really about what are shutting down parenthood and making birth control harder to access and all of that comes down to this very notion right yeah yeah the abortion thing is one thing but those same people don't want contraception like what is the thinking there then right you know, how can you transfer? I don't want you to murder a baby to. I don't want you to get pregnant. I don't want you to get pregnant. Right. Is what? I don't want you to have sex. Right. Or I don't. Unless, I don't want you to have sex without the risk of getting pregnant. Right. I don't want you to have sex unless it's the sex I want you to have with the person that you're supposed to have it with. Which is and not I'm for fun, determine. and not for pleasure ever. Yeah. Women are not allowed to want or have sexual pleasure in their lives. Right. It is always sexual pleasure for men. And always about whether that man wants to have a kid. Right. Exactly. Um, so I would assume that the wonderful uh, black women leaders that you follow on Twitter have some things to say about this. Yeah. Yeah. I was talking to Jermaine about this earlier, and he was like, I don't want to have this conversation. And I was like, I don't either. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, I know that there's like someone out there who is saying something. But, like, I've created this bubble mm-hmm. that, like, I haven't heard it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, same. Like, the only reason I know that there are people defending this is because of the outrage of the black women that I follow mm-hmm. about those things that people have said, whom I do not follow. So, like, I have not personally been exposed to people that I know or follow, like, being like, this is fine, this is good. No one that I know or follow has said that. Mm-hmm. But certainly people are like, oh, he grew up in a different time. And you're like, nope, he grew up. He's like my age, so no, I think he's like forty-two. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's the '80s was the time when everyone <laughs> was age. having doctors sexually assault their children. Which, by the way, this hymen check thing is also not a, an American phenomenon. It's it's no, global, no, 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 no. Um, and it involves a doctor inserting their fingers into your daughter's vagina um, for no reason to determine whether or not the hymen is intact, again, for no reason. Which is apropos of nothing, because you can have lost your virginity and still have your hymen intact. Yes, and you can have not lost your virginity and not have your hymen intact. Here's the thing, guys. 
women are all very different. They have very different anatomies and different shaped vaginas, and it's it's all it's a cornucopia of of difference and and wondrous. And uh, you know, I think that's a good thing. You too, <laughs> but you know that's another thing too. If you're not the owner of a vagina, um, you I mean, might not know that. It, sending your daughter to the doctor to see if her hymen is intact as an indication of whether she's a virgin or not is like throwing women in the water to see if they float, float. and they're witches. Yep. Like it's the same yep. thing. Yep. It's it has the same scientific scientific rigor. merit. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Not to mention, I would just like to point out that. Knowing what we know, um, and thanks to you're wrong about for some of this information, yes. is that um, childhood sexual abuse and uh, sexual abuse generally is largely comes from immediate family or people who know you. Yeah, and absolutely. so I, if I were a doctor and I had a father of a daughter come in to confirm her virginity in an invasive tests that had no medical merit or value and that father refused to leave the room so that I could talk to that person would be to me a great indicator of potential abuse. Yeah. And it is the absolute responsibility of doctors to remove parents from situations like that so that they can have a conversation with that kid. I am not saying that T.I. has sexually abused his daughter. That's not what I think is happening. But I think that, you know, when, especially when you're a teenager, right? Like you need to have conversations with your doctor around your own safety, around your own like sexual safety even. Maybe she is having sex and she needs to have a conversation with her doctor about yeah. contraception or she thinks she might have an STI or maybe she's pregnant or she got raped or somebody's hurting her in her life. Like these are conversations that need to be had without the presence of this domineering patriarchal figure sitting there and saying in front of the doctor, there's nothing you don't want me to know, right? Okay, doc, do the test. Like, that is abuse. Mm-hmm. That is just, just it, on its face, abuse. And then to subject her to this humiliating thing and then to make it public, especially when he's a public figure, like, I don't even know how to, like, begin to unpack how harmful that is. Yeah. And abusive and garbage. So, that's, I don't know. So there's a lot of thought, there's a lot of talk lately about cancel culture. Um, This would be a good opportunity. But, you know, I think most of T.I.'s fans are not going to really care that much, unfortunately. A lot of them are real mad. A lot of his fans are really mad at him right now. (laughs) Enough that it's going to make a dent in his album sales. Oh, I I don't know. Chris Brown's career is still going strong. Took a lot for R. Kelly to get brought down. But let's not just talk about like black men, right? No, 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 no. You're right. Harvey Weinstein has abused fucking hundreds of celebrities and and got away for for decades. And now was just in a comedy club and was just hanging out with a bunch of young women. Yeah. Right? Like, this is not a, this is not a black men and their fans problem. This is a rape culture and misogyny writ large throughout the culture problem. Yeah. And certainly the white men who've been doing these sort of things have long and illustrious careers that are much harder to break and much more power and influence and money. Agreed. Absolutely correct. Yeah. But, you know, just on the whole, um, yeah, I I mean... um, And this idea that, like... Well, how about this? This idea that this guy would come on this podcast, hosted by women, Mm -hmm. no less, Mm -hmm. and feel so free and open 
to discuss these things he does with his daughter as if they're virtuous. Yes. And things he's not ashamed of no. in any way, shape, he's or form. He's proud of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and like... And since the backlash, like, the women who post the podcast were like, we're really sorry. Like, it caught us off guard. We didn't really know what to do. We laughed nervously, which is what women are fucking socialized to do, especially with a super, like, rich, powerful guy, right? That's, like, mm-hmm. super famous. They yeah. just sort of laughed and went, oh, okay. You know? Haha, <laughs> that's so crazy. And they, so like, crazy. feel really shitty about it now. And, like, I, you know, I, yeah. I don't know what I would have done in that situation. I can't tell you, but I don't blame them, certainly. Uh, I think but I know I, what you would have done in that situation. Well, <laughs> it would have been bad. For him. And then probably for me, right? Which is the calculation you make. Right. Um, Yeah, so I think, you know, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's shocking that this is a thing that, like, like you said, that you can just say out loud and, like, it's supposed to be fine. I am heartened that, like, people felt really shitty about it and really, like, backlashed against it. Um but also I think it makes us need to take a closer look at like, this is where we're still here. Mm-hmm. Like the handmade still isn't that far off because this is where we are is like, there is still this sort of undergirding belief in American society that women's bodies and sexuality are not their not own. their own. Yeah. So we have about 20 minutes left. You have another very important story. I do. That you wanted to get to. I do. So let's get to it. All right. So this may need to uh, be like a bonus uh, podcast because it's a long story and I'd like to get it right, but I want to just give a sort of um, a summary of what's going on and a sort of call to action. So there is this man named Rodney Reed. Um, He is on death row in Texas Um, and he is scheduled to be executed on November 20th for the murder of a woman in 1996, Um, and he is innocent of that crime, very clearly innocent of that crime. Um, Her name was Stacy Stites. Um, She was found dead. Her body was dumped on the side of a country road outside of Bastrop, Texas, a small town roughly half hour east of Austin. she was partially clothed and lying face up, her arms above her head. Mark on her neck uh, led investigators to conclude that she'd been strangled with a piece of braided leather belt, a piece of which was left nearby. Sperm was collected from inside of her. So the case went unsolved for about a year. Um, they largely suspected, and their primary suspect was her then fiance, um, whose name was Jimmy Fennell. He was a white police officer. Um, and uh, they had a sort of tumultuous relationship, and talking to her family and friends indicated that there may have been some abuse, particularly emotional abuse, Um, and so he was their primary suspect. He took two polygraph tests. He failed both, which polygraph tests are fucking bullshit, just to note. So they collected DNA evidence from inside of her body and found the DNA of a man named Rodney Reed. He's a black man, and... Once that happened, sort of tunnel vision ensued, and they decided that he must have killed her. Um, Now, DNA evidence back in 1996 is different than DNA evidence now, especially just given what we know now versus what we sort of knew then. It was sort of a burgeoning science back in 1996. Um, And so they determined that if they 
they found like three spermatozoa cells inside of her that they could test. And the forensic team said, which isn't true, that because there were these live cells that she must have had sex within like three hours of her death, which is absolutely nonsense and garbage we know now. It could have been days. Um, so with that information, um, police and, and DAs concocted this story about what must have happened to her. And the prosecution's case goes like this. She was at home with her fiancé. Um, she worked at this uh, convenience store, or grocery store, I guess. Um, they, like, snuggled and watched movies, went to bed. She worked the early shift, so she left for work in her white truck at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, drove to her work on a highway. And at some point along her literal drive on a highway um, at 3 o'clock in the morning, he, Rodney Reed, um, who they assumed was a stranger to her, um, somehow stopped her and hijacked her car, which I don't know if you guys drive on highways very often, but, like, how do you hijack someone driving on a highway? I don't know. And you're walking. I it's unclear. And, like, you didn't have a gun. So I guess she just, like, stopped. And then, I don't know. This is what they say. And then they say that he dragged her out of the car, um, raped her and strangled her and left her body there, then took her truck, drove it to a school um, nearby where she worked, which, as a stranger to her, would be weird. How would he know that? Uh, because her body was found not near where she lived um, or worked, um, and then left. So that's the prosecution's timeline of what happened. None of that makes any sense. Um, the evidence points to... So what happens is they, they interview Rodney Reed. He initially denies the fact that he knows her, uh, but it comes out later that they had been having an affair. Um, they had known each other well and had been carrying on an affair outside of her relationship to this cop. Um, he has multiple witnesses from his life and from her life who can attest to having met him before her murder, having met him as someone that was close to her. Um, both her family and his family and friends have were willing to get on the stand and say that they had met him or her and knew about the affair. Um, because she was getting ready to leave this guy, mm. this Jimmy guy. Um, cops don't believe that, don't present that evidence uh, at trial. Um, they don't even let the defense have the discovery of some of these witnesses, that they knew that there was this affair going on. And so the trial proceeds as though he is a stranger to her, and the fact that his DNA is found inside of her indicates that she must have been raped by him and then murdered by him, even mm -hmm. though they had consensual sex like three days before, two days before she died. Mm -hmm. um, none of that was revealed at the trial. Um, she, right, so <laughs> he gets convicted. Um, and then during the, the sentencing portion of uh, the process, Texas is Texas. And so they love to kill people down there. Yep. So the sentencing phase is very unregulated in terms of what evidence you can bring in. Rodney Reed had previously been accused of sexual assault. Um, those charges were dropped. And they were able to say, basically the prosecution was able to say, he's already raped before. 
even though he has never been convicted of sexual assault. And I am not saying that he did not sexually assault someone else. Yeah. But that is nothing to do with this case. Right. Um, And the fact that they were allowed to bring that to trial is really upsetting. Um, So he's convicted and sentenced to death. Um, And, you know, in Texas, pretty much like black guy rapes white lady, it's death. There's just like, that's that's it. That's it. Since then, um, her fiance, the white cop, um, was charged and convicted of kidnapping and rape of a woman in custody while he was on duty. Mm. So he arrested this woman and then drove out to, uh, you know, rural part of which is only just recently a crime, by the way. Yeah. In Colorado. Right. Um, so drove her out to a rural part of where he was, which is interesting because that is also where her body was found. Mm -hmm. Um, threw up against the car, raped her, um, and then, like, kept her for a while and then, like, let her go. The interesting thing about the forensics on the case is that when they found her in the woods, Stacey Stites, they found her body, she was on her back, and her arms were above her head, mm-hmm. right? But the lividity in the case, which is, like, once you die, all of your blood pools at the lowest point. So, like, if you died on your back, you're going to have, like, blood pool to your back, Right. So it's going to look like bruising and stuff on your back. If you die when you're laying on your stomach, it's going to pool to your stomach, right? Mm-hmm. So when they found her body, she was on her back with her arm above her head, but all the lividity was in the front of her body, which indicates that she was dead for at least four hours laying on her stomach before her body was dumped. So how does Rodney Reed hijack a woman driving on a highway, rape her, leave her for four hours on her stomach, and then what, like, just wait and turn her over onto her back in the woods and then drive her car? None of it makes any sense. It indicates that, like, likely she was at home, got in a row with her boyfriend, husband, whatever, at the time. He raped her, strangled her on the bed, and then dumped her body, right? DNA evidence inside of the car is only her and her fiancé. There is absolutely no DNA evidence that indicates that Rodney Reed was ever inside of the truck, Mm -hmm. which if he hijacked her, there would be like maybe fingerprints or like something, right, that indicated he was in the car or had touched the car or had driven the car, hair fibers, anything. But they found a lot of that, but it was only her and her fiancé, which makes sense. Maybe you share a car, but also he could have been in her car. Um, So... It's getting a lot of attention because it's very obvious that he's not guilty. Um, his execution is scheduled for, what, 13 days from now? Yeah. Um, interestingly, a bunch of cops have come forward and filed an amicus brief um, to the Texas courts saying, we think he's innocent. We think that this was uh, that there's the literal only evidence literal only evidence that exists in this case is that some of his semen was inside of her body. Yeah, which only says they had sex. Only says they had sex. There was a piece of the belt that she was strangled with that was left beside her that was not tested for DNA Mm -hmm. that still exists. The state of Texas says that DNA that cannot be tested because it uh, wasn't properly held, um, that the the piece of belt has been corrupted by, you know, improper... um, evidence handling, which is also the fault of the state. Um, Yeah, so these cops have come forward and just said, like, this is a case of bad police work. This person is innocent. Please let them go. Please do not execute them. Um, It is right now before 
Governor Abbott, who, interestingly, it's not interesting, it's horrifying, was the attorney general at the time that this case was prosecuted, and his yeah, so he's he's really not going to be eager to walk that fervently trying to uphold the conviction, and now it is before him for a potential pardon. But in Texas, it's weird because the governor doesn't actually have the full power of the pardon. What they can do is delay it, and then they throw it over to the board of um, parole and something else, but the, all those people are appointed by the governor, so really the governor has p- the power to commute the sentence um, or pardon him. He's just saying like, well, it's not really in my power, it's up to the board. And you're like, the board are all of your buddies that you appointed, so yeah. whatever you want them to do is what they're going to do. Right. So, um, there's a lot more to say about this, and it's a whole thing we can get into some other time, but I just think it's really important to bring up, because we are on a really tight timeline. Um, the uh, Innocence Project has been involved in his case for the last 18 years. He's had the same lawyer. They have <clears throat> done multiple, multiple, multiple um, uh, filings with the courts in Texas, um, which is a whole other legal thing we can get into because Texas is fucked. But the courts have often um, not bundled them properly and taken them all as like individual appeals, which they aren't. They've sat on them for multiple years at a time. They haven't ruled on a bunch of them. Um, the courts just really seem uninterested in um, not murdering an innocent man. They seem really interested in just letting that happen. Um, his lawyer said he's waiting on a call from Kim Kardashian because, you know, she's sort of gotten involved in the whole um, death penalty and criminal justice thing, and she may be able to have some sway because of that which is just like if we're waiting for Kim Kardashian to save this man it's I hope she does right that's I I don't even want to give her shit I hope she's able to do something and help but um a bunch of people have gotten involved including like Oprah Winfrey and Dr. Phil and like Kim Kardashian and a bunch of rappers and a bunch of people that like have a lot of sway um well you know what you know who just went and did their big black outreach yesterday one Donald Trump yeah so you know what yeah, if you want to be a cynical bastard and go and and go ahead and have a gesture that that's meaningful, why don't you go and and give your buddy Greg Abbott a call? Yeah, Trump. Tell him to pardon this innocent man. Yeah, I've you know I know you don't really care, but you know you care about this whole new thing you're going for with the black outreach. Go ahead, put your money where your mouth is. Right now, do we think he's going to do that? Of course not. <laughs> Maybe if Kim Kardashian calls him, and she I mean, can he give got involved nice with the with the guy in Sweden who was mm-hmm. looking at you know very mm-hmm. minor jail time mm-hmm. for something. Um, well, and she convinced him before too. Like she went yeah. to the White House and was like, "Yo, you got to do this thing," and he was like, "It's Kim Kardashian, of course I do. She's a celebrity." Yeah. And so I hope she I hope she gets in somebody's ear. Like uh, you know what? If she's using her celebrity to free innocent fucking people from death row, then goddamn good for her. Yeah. Great. You get your husband in line, but like fucking Christ, that's awesome and good and great. And I hope that that works because this man should not be executed. So, Shouldn't have been in, on death row this entire time anyway, but. Yeah. Well, it should have never been a suspect. So tweet about it, write about it, reach out. If you live in Texas, especially like fuck, fuck's sake, there's about to be a man who did nothing except have an affair with a white woman in the 90s. Yeah. Who was dating a cop. Yep. And like, it cannot be overstated that like. The person who did this was a white cop, and he did it because his girlfriend was sleeping with a black man, which he, by the way, knew. Yeah. He later, when he was jailed for the rape and kidnapping of that woman that he 
while I was on duty, went to uh, the white supremacist gang in jail for some protection. <laughs> and uh, in order to prove his sort of bona fides uh, about being a racist, told one of the white supremacist guys that he killed his fiance for fucking an N-word. Mm-hmm. So um, he admitted to the crime. Um, then one of his cop buddies at her viewing um, recently went on record to give a statement saying that while they were at the viewing, um, he went up to the casket and looked at her body and said, you got what you deserved. Mm. So like the guy fucking killed her and there's another guy the state's about to murder and maybe we should do what we can to not make that happen. Yeah. Is my plea today. Yeah. Yep. We will uh, keep you updated on that over the next couple of weeks, obviously. Yeah. And uh, we'll but see But if you can just reach out to anybody that you know or yeah. like, you know, make some calls, write some letters, make some noise, do some protests down in Texas at the prison. Like, make this, blow this up. Make it big. It's already you know, getting there, but like any extra effort from any of y'all, I would really appreciate. So we got about five, five minutes left. Any closing thoughts or anything else you would like to what do discuss? You got? <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. You got nothing. I don't either. <laughs> so we're just going to end this five minutes early. Okay. I just want to talk. Um, I guess we can circle back to just, a, a tiny bit of impeachment talk and what's on the schedule. So this week, like, if you don't understand what's going on, like, we are getting into the public uh, hearings phase mm-hmm. of. So, like, if you weren't paying attention before, or you were confused. Like, now's the time to tune in. Yeah. Like on your lunch break or at the office if CNN is is on and, um, you know whatever. Like, yeah. Now now keep an eye on what's going on because now it gets real because now. People are speaking publicly and going on the record, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, it's it's actually going to be kind of fun, if not infuriating and frightening, on the other side, because they're going to put Jim Jordan in in charge of like the questioning from the other side, and like they're really going to come back with the craziest conspiracy theory shit like you've ever seen. Like they're gonna have Hillary Clinton like hiding physical servers in the mountains of Ukraine and stuff. Like right. it's gonna be, I don't want to say fun, but it's gonna be crazy. But again, I think the thing that we have to remember is like couch that in. Sometimes the media is gonna run with that like it's true, <laughs> right? And sure. that's the if it makes a good danger. story and it gets clicks. That's yeah. the danger of this is that. People who are sitting members of Congress are going to say things that are patently untrue and absurd that you'd find on the QAnon boards on Reddit. Right. Yes. And some of the media is going to go, could this be true? Let's ask an expert. (laughs) Yeah. And like that shit is toxically dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Get ready for that. I wanted to talk some about uh, Lev Parnas and Rudy and their uh, brilliant idea for an infomercial, which remember we were trying to figure out like why they did that. I think I kind of figured out why, which is even dumber. Oh God. But we don't really have time too much time to get into it. But you know, at some point if it's still relevant, we will. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and and it, then here's the idea. If you're creating a shell company to hide your nefarious, like Russian money laundering, <laughs> you shouldn't like try to make an infomercial with a famous person about your fake company to like run like in the daytime on Oprah. 
Wait, Probably I mean, not the best like, idea. Maybe we don't want anyone to find out about this <laughs> shell company. We should do an infomercial. Well, I, I think, the, the, no, this guy, this guy did want people to find out about the shell company because he was worried about Google searches with his name and the word fraud. That's why he invented a company right. with the name fraud in it. Right. So that if you Googled him, <laughs> it would say fraud, but only because there's this company that is non-fraud guy. <laughs> Non-fraud guy is my company. That's why when you see my name and it's associated with fraud, it's because I have this non-fraud guy company. So again, it just circles back to this idea of like, yeah, these people are going to outsmart Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler and Nancy Pelosi and the heads of the the, the committees, right? Like, that's... Okay. Yeah, because they're brilliant. All right, that's going to do it for us. Uh, Obviously, find us on Twitter, um, at Reverend Duo, reverendtestimony at gmail.com. Check out my album when it comes out on the 22nd. Married a Dead Man yes. is what it's called. Not I Married a Dead Man <laughs> or Married the Dead Man yeah. or any of the other iterations that sometimes venues get wrong. It's yeah, just Married a Dead Man. And they love screwing up our name. It's really good. Listen to it. Anyway. And, and see them on tour if you can. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. See you next week. Bye. To Irreverent Testimony, brought to you by Netroots Radio, the political podcast by and for millennial Gen Xer types from a left-wing perspective. And uh, it is Saturday, November 16th, 2019. I'm Travis. I'm Rachel. It's going to be a hell of a show today. Uh, Rachel's getting over a cold. I am developing one or and or horrible, horrible allergies. Yeah. We can't stop sneezing, and we're just mucus factories right now. And everything itches, and my eyes are watering, and we're just, we're a mess. And so. in, in addition, we have restless pets all over the apartment this morning that just, just can't seem to, to get it wild. together. Yeah. So, uh, should be quite a show. But here we are. Do our best. Oh, we'll do our best. Just a house cleaning announcement. Uh, I'm starting next Saturday. I'm going on tour with my band for 10 days, so that may take up the next two Saturdays. We might pre-record some stuff. We'll, we'll have to figure it out. Uh, we're not sure exactly yet what's going to happen there. So, 
Might be the last you hear from us for a hot minute. So uh, soak it in. <laughs> <laughs> Might not hear back from us till you know midway through December when everyone's getting ready for the. Holidays. I might be able to record one um, through other means. Yeah. Um, but that's still in the works. Okay. So we'll see. Okay. I actually don't even know what that means, so oh, you'll have to okay. explain it to me off the air <laughs> or on the air or whatever. All but, right. Yeah. You, you, you can do that. That would be awesome. Uh, okay. So, in case you've been living under a rock, it's been impeachment palooza starting this past week. Uh, going the last couple days, Wednesday and Friday were the big days. I'm going to talk about that some, probably mostly in the second half. I know, like... As we said, we we have changed this podcast to where we are not going to tick off news of the week boxes anymore. But you know, this impeachment stuff's important. I'm going to talk I've got about some it. Things some things to say about it. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> God, God, stop, Plexa. Dog is yelling at the the cat is yelling at the poor dog whose back legs are not working well for a variety of reasons, and he doesn't understand why. Why the dog is... And he's just a dick today. I don't know. Yeah. He's just being a crazy person. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Um, what, what should we start with? Let, why don't we start off with... Uh, um, an update about Rodney Reed? Rodney Reed. Yeah. yeah because we, we started to give you the primer on that last week. So the deal with that is that um, Rodney Reed is the guy who was sentenced to be murdered by the state in Texas um, on November 20th. And uh, a Where lot they of they love doing that kind of thing. Yeah, they execute more people in Texas than any other state, and they're proud of it. It's it's yeah. not like, I guess, on the stump when it comes down to it, they're like, oh, well, this is a serious, somber business. But like, you know, in in not mixed company, they they're kind of proud of it. They are. It's a thing that they're sort of like they like that fact about their state. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, two things happened on the same day. Um, there's been a lot of, as we talked about last week, sort of public uproar about this case because it seems very, very obvious that yeah, he did not do it. It got everybody's attention. And uh, and so within days of his murder, um, so this was November 15th, uh, so five days before his scheduled execution, um, two things happened. One, the Texas Board of Parolees and prisoners, something like that, um, recommended, uh, sorry, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals ruling came hours after the state's parole board, right, um, recommended, so the parole board recommended to Governor Abbott, who would have to approve this, a delay of his execution by 120 days. Yeah. Um, but that same day, the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals ruling came down um kicking it back to the lower court, the district court. So basically, the um, parole board's 120 days, which they could have gone further and said, like, have a new trial, which they didn't do, um, is moot because the criminal court of appeals came down and said, like, nope, we're kicking it back to a lower court to take a look at it because there's serious questions of um, his evidence and his lawyers from the Innocence Project have um, also asserted yeah. complaints about criminal... Um, <clears throat> Sorry, prosecutorial, prosecutorial misconduct, which I think is obvious if you look at the facts of the case, considering that the evidence wasn't tested, witnesses weren't given over, there was massive discovery problems. Um, it was very clear that everybody just wanted this black man to be guilty of murdering this woman instead of her white cop fiancé. 
So um, that's really good news. The unfortunate part about that is that Rodney Reed will remain in prison um, during the course of this uh, these hearings, most likely. I mean, it's Texas. They don't like this kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, he'll go before a district court judge who will hear the evidence from his attorneys um, asserting that he should get a new trial. And if the um, judge grants that, then it'll be months and possibly years before um, he's exonerated, mm-hmm. which is what he and his family wants. They don't want um, to make a deal or a payoff or they, no. they want they a want whole new trial an exoneration. And a full exoneration. Yeah, because they, I think, and rightly so, think that if they were to have a new trial, um, he w- would be a joke. He would easily yeah. be um, acquitted. Well, that's the thing. And, and they have to be ready for this because we've seen this movie before, right? Yes. They're, Texas, to try to save face, will try to, I mean, it's not going to be quiet now, but as quietly as they can, just have them sign a piece of paper that basically yeah. says, due to mitigating circumstances, your sentence is being commuted yes. or... Yes. Yeah. You'll get let out, but you have to say you're guilty. Right. Even though you, you don't agree that you're guilty, you're going to admit guilt. It's called like an Allen plea or something. Right. I might be getting that wrong. Um, it's what happened with the West Memphis Three. That's how they got out. Right. Um, but the good news is that Texas is not going to murder an innocent man. So that's no, good no. News. We, uh, we've got we've got the ball rolling at least. We're not yeah. out of the woods yet, but no. we got the ball rolling. But here's the thing, right? I, I hear so many cynical people say, "Well, what can I do? Just you know, retweeting something on Twitter, or posting on Facebook, and telling my friends. It doesn't make a difference." Yeah, it does. The only reason this got as far as it did was all the public pressure and yeah. all the public attention and. And calls and the getting the media interested from all of the synergy and then asking the right questions. And, you know, I mean, if this had just stayed relatively quiet, this they would have executed his, his him. family. You and know? it would have been a blurb in the paper that people like us would have talked about. Nobody else. Right. But it really was this massive public pressure um, that. You know, three million people signed a petition, which is a lot for something yeah, like this. Yeah. Um, and then, as a result of that, and just a lot of people posting about it on Twitter, which I know sounds absurd, but it's true. Um, it was just this like constant barrage of people being like, "This is bullshit. This is bullshit. This is bullshit." Mm-hmm. Uh, people like Oprah got involved and started talking about it, and making the mainstream media talk about it, and yes. making them examine it, and then yeah. making them talk to his lawyers and making them say. Hey, this is a big deal. This is fucked up. What are we doing? And as a result, he's not going to die yep. in four days. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Um, it his matters. family, his brother, uh, Roderick Reed, has been instrumental in this process, um, has been by his side the entire time, has been fighting tooth and nail for him. Um, and <clears throat> throughout the course of that, he was interviewed. Um, I saw it on the Washington Post and said that. You know, he started out with just his goal was to have his brother exonerated. And then, you know, in sort of his activism, talking to all of these other families and people who have, you know, um, loved ones on death row, whether innocent or not, um, that he started uh, the Reed Justice Initiative, which is really about abolishing the death penalty, which Uh I think is a very good goal to have. And so got any extra bucks to throw towards that, I think that would be appropriate um, yeah, it was interesting. A little bit I heard of the little documentary thing you played was that, you know, they just started this to obviously free their their family member, and yeah. then they're like, "Well, no, this is a whole thing that a lot of people are dealing with, and we're going to be activists now." Yeah, like, and you wouldn't necessarily know that if you're yeah. not a person who is already in these circles. And so I think it's, 
you know, those are the kind of activists that we want and need and we should all strive to be. Yes. Um, And whether or not people are guilty of the crimes that they were charged with, whether or not they got fair trials, um, I don't think that we should be in the business of murdering people. And so regardless of anything, and especially because the system is so often, um, you know, corrupted and so often biased against people of color, particularly black men, um, until we can get it right, at least we should not even consider the state killing people. And even then we should consider the morality of it. Well, look, even Ted Cruz got into the yeah. act. <laughs> I mean, now granted he, he, he prefaced it in this awful way. He's like, look, the death penalty is great. And I'm all for the death penalty, but eh, maybe we should take another look at this one. <laughs> it's like, if even, like- if even Ted Cruz is on the right side of this, come on. You're like, you should definitely kill people, but maybe not innocent people. I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, I think yeah. maybe we should look at whether or not we should kill innocent people. Oh, yeah, no, he, yeah. he couched it in a million, like, <laughs> but, but you know, basically yeah. he said, like, yeah, eh, he let's take a look at this one. Yep, yeah, and called on Governor Abbott, who's been very silent about this whole thing, has nothing to say about it, which means to me that without any of this public pressure, he would have done literally nothing. No, um, absolutely And without not. the uh, Court of Appeals in Texas he may not have even signed the 120 day stay. Well, there have been other instances in Texas that were not as high profile. I think with a couple of uh, mentally challenged or developmentally challenged people that were on death row and Abbott let them, let them die. Yeah. Was happy to. Yeah. And so, you know, he's got a very poor track record. That's why this was really scary. And it looked like, no, they're just going to go ahead and, execute this guy i mean he is so clearly not guilty well like we said before even the the cops and the prosecutors from you know cops and prosecutors their game is always like once it's been proven that you know everything is is wrong or they committed all this heinous like framing they still stick to their guns but even now they're like uh we probably screwed Mm, this this one one, it doesn't look right like looks like the cops got tunnel vision they don't of course, blame the cops or the prosecutors in any way. They just make a lot of excuses. Right, right. But they definitely came out with an amicus brief saying, like, this is not good. Yeah. We shouldn't do this. Right. We should at least look at it because yeah. this is not good. So I think likely it'll go before a judge. The judge will look at the evidence and um, the prosecution will uh, will choose not to retry him is what will happen, which means that he that's they'll, exoneration. Sure, but they'll try to offer a deal first. I think, like like we just talked about. Maybe. I mean, I think the judge is going to go back to the prosecution and say, like, obviously this trial is being thrown out, mm-hmm. period. So he's either, he is no longer a charged person. Do you want to charge him? And with what? And then at that point, they have to decide. And they can offer him time served mm-hmm. if he pleads guilty. They can do a lot of different things, but... He's been pretty clear that that's not going to happen. But it he is, wants a it, trial. It, it is Texas, so who knows? It is tempting. Um, but, you know, I think for him, he's been in jail for so long that, um, you know, his life is is been ruined, obviously, by this. Um, and for him, this is more of a principled matter. Yeah. This is an, yeah. I didn't fucking do this. But like, and you're going to say it out loud. We're talking about the the law enforcement and state apparatus in the state of Texas. Let's not assume anything. And the potential jury pool. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a risk. I think he's right that, like, especially this day and age, it's it's a different time yeah. um, for criminal justice these days, I think. And so, especially because we know so much more about DNA now, and, like, it's it's a different world. So so keep your eye on, on, on this one, but I think, you know, it's going in the right direction, which yeah. is very good news. It is very good news, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
in keeping with that, um, not so good news, um, out of Arizona. Um, there was this <clears throat> horrific case, um, of police brutality mm. that just surfaced that is so unbelievable that I didn't believe it, even though it was on the Washington Post. And yeah. and then I was talking about it to you and you were like, what's the link? Send this to me. This can't pot like what which, is there a link? And I was like, yeah, yes, it has, like, it has to be seen to be believed. It is. Um, there was a um, quadruple quadriplegic 15 year old black kid in a group foster home in Pima County, I think Tucson, mm-hmm. Arizona, which means he has no legs and uh, most of his arms have been amputated. <clears throat> he was uh, acting out and um, overturned a trash can inside of the group home. And whoever was in charge at that time in the group home called the police, which we're going to get into a topic, a whole conversation about that. And this big, burly white guy, <clears throat> fully able-bodied, white guy, cop, comes in um, and attacks this kid who is literally unable to fight back, right? No arms and no legs. Um, one of the group home uh, kids was eating breakfast in the kitchen and started recording this interaction on his cell phone. The cop didn't know he was doing that. Um, the quadriplegic kid, the, the victim, um, you know, was like, get off of me, get off of me. The cop puts him in a chokehold at one point. His entire body weight is on this kid um, yelling in his face. That, and the kid is obviously being very defiant, like get off of me and yelling names, none of which should have that none of this should ever have happened. But this is what a lot of people are saying. Well, that kid was so disrespectful. And you're like, <laughs> the, kid has the no quadriplegic kid who's being abused by a fucking cop. What what danger is the cop in? What danger is anybody in? Okay, this kid also has no shirt on, so it's not like he could be hiding a weapon that he wouldn't be able to use because he doesn't have fucking arms. Right. So, whew, then, cop sees the kid recording him, is like, oh, fuck, right? Yeah. Tells the kid to go to his room. Kid says, can't do that, eating my breakfast. Cop starts threatening him. Kid hands the phone over to another kid who then records the cop yelling at and threatening the kid who was videotaping him and then handcuffing him. The kid clearly is providing zero resistance. It's very, very peaceful. And the cop slams his head into a wall. Um, And so that was recorded. They were both arrested, the quadriplegic kid and the kid who filmed the video, um, and charged with disturbing the peace and failure to comply. They were taken to the police station. Um... He got public defender and the third kid came in and showed the public defender this video, which no one had seen. Mm-hmm. Cops hadn't seen it. Prosecution hadn't seen it. And nobody had seen it. And it just exploded. Um, and since so what did the judge do at that point? <clears throat> well, they, the, they, they didn't see a judge. The prosecution dropped all charges. Oh, okay. Okay. This didn't get to Upon a hearing. Upon seeing the video. Oh, this was just no. the, in the charging phase. Correct. And then the, the defense counsel pulled the cop, the prosecutor aside and said, you're going to, you're going to, I mean, <laughs> where's the pro- it's a prosecutor. They might charge anyway, you know? Well, they were already charged, yeah. right? And then they were in jail. I mean, jail. they might, they might pursue they the case. They saw their, yeah. So like they had been charged and they were being held in jail and they saw their, court-appointed public defender and the, this kid was like look at this and the the defense attorney was like holy fuck 
and went to the prosecution and was like, the fuck is this, by the way? Um, so the charges have been dropped and they won't need the services of this PD anymore, but they should most certainly sue. Um, well, they should, this cop should be charged with assault. Absolutely. Should not be a cop as of now. Yes. Should be charged with assault. Yes. And the, of a minor. And the entire police department needs their, uh, obviously their training and their screening and everything else overhauled. Yes. And that, um, foster group home should be shut down. Look, Okay. Well, probably, yeah. We'll get to that in a second. But I was just going to talk about cops for a second. Yeah, please. Second. Like, boy, do I understand what it's like to have a bad day. I had a couple of really bad days this week. Yeah. And I was in an awful mood and I was just ready to snap at people. I, I didn't. I kept my cool and grit my t- gritted my teeth for the most part, I think. Mm-hmm. Was I being a, a dick? I don't know. You tell me. No, you, you were grumpy. You were grumpy, but you were not lashing out at anybody. Yeah. You were just grumpy. Cops have bad days, too. I understand. They're human, right? Yeah. They're human beings. But that's the thing, right? When you are tasked with the possibility of having to use deadly force in a given situation and you're not exactly sure when that situation might arise. I I understand, but (laughs) you cannot take that. And then I'm assuming this guy wasn't just, just a bully who enjoys like beating up quadriplegic kids. That might be the case. Right. But it's more likely maybe this guy was just having a bad day. Maybe he got in a fight with his wife. The bills were late. He was stuck in traffic in the morning. Somebody cut him off. Maybe he was just having a shit day. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, if that is your temperament, like, you are not cut out for the job, dude. Nope. Find something else to do. Go work in sales. Go fucking sell screen doors door to door, man. You know, work the fucking security shifts. I know, like, at Walmart, the money will be shit, but, like, this probably won't happen. So that's just kind of my rant on cops. Well, my rant is that even if you're a person having the worst day, because... All the things that you said, right? Uh-huh. Not the worst day because, like, your dad just died or whatever, right? But, like, just a shitty, cranky day. Yeah. If you walk into a group home, which is already a depressing environment. These kids are there because of trauma, period. And yeah. you walk in to see a kid on the ground with no arms and no legs shirtless. And you have so little compassion in you, that when that kid starts to lash out at you and sort of say mean things, you don't just go, oh, fuck, my day is nothing compared to this kid, right? This kid's day, every day of this kid's life probably is worse than my day today. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So no if kidding, you have right? no compassion for that kid and you don't just like sit down on the fucking ground and go, man, I am sorry. Are you all right? What happened? Let's talk about Let's it. Let's talk. Yeah. This sucks. Which Let's is way you a easier. Shirt. And like. You know, do you have a wheelchair or something? Like, how do you normally get around? Can we get and, you up and, off and the ground? May, maybe the kid doesn't respond to that. Maybe he doesn't. Then you go, all right, look. Then you go talk to the lady who called. I'm assuming it's a lady, right? And mm-hmm. you say, what happened? And she's like, he was being an asshole and he knocked over a trash can. And you're like, okay, well, that's not the job for cops. <laughs> um, this yeah. kid clearly needs some counseling. So maybe is there, do you have programs for that? Obviously, you should know that if you're a cop. Like, there is a way to handle this situation that even if you're having a really shitty day, you walk in there and you see that kid, how you're like, I know what would be fun. I'm just going to beat the shit out of him because I had a bad day. I'm going to beat the shit out of a kid who literally can't hit me back because he doesn't have any goddamn arms or legs. I don't know how... That human being exists. Well, I think my, my question is more like you say lacks compassion. I don't assume he's got any compassion in him. I say he lacks self-control. 
right? Because he, the thing about cops is like so many of them become cops because they really get off on the respect my authorita thing. Yes. And when their authorita is not being respected, they snap. They snap. That's they exactly snap. what happened in this case. And, and any situation goes from zero to 90 to mm-hmm. life threatening in an instant because they just, they just cannot help themselves when someone dares to, you know, not respect their authority. Right. Because really they have imposter syndrome, right? Yeah. It's this idea that like, if you say I don't have authority, then I don't, because I don't really, other than yeah. I have a gun that I'm not supposed to use, but badge. I just fucking will. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's deeply about like insecurity and all kinds of toxic masculinity and, and bullying. And that, that doesn't count the ones that are just outright racist. Totally. Right? And you think about this cop, right, who knows he's not wearing a body cam. Mm-hmm. And... He's in this group home. He knows nobody gives a fuck about these kids. He's never going to get caught. I don't even think he thought all that through, Rachel. He just thinks of these kids as throwaway kids. You what? You know that when you're going there. These are throwaway people. These are not people that he cares about, that he thinks anyone else cares about. Yeah, but if he got called to the old folks' home because, you know, grandpa who has Alzheimer's is acting out, he would have done the same shit. I don't really think this guy thought through any of that. I just think he walked into a situation. He was probably having a bad day. And then someone didn't respect his authority. And he snapped just like asshole cops do. Yeah. I don't think it mattered who the victim was. That that Like you say, like, well, this kid had no arms and no legs. Cop didn't care. Somebody mouthed off to him. Yeah. That's all he cared about. Right. And then somebody else caught him behaving in a way that he fully understands. He did not expect anyone to see that uh-huh. or to witness that. He knew that full well, right. that, he, that no one was going to see it. So he could get away with it. And then to find out he couldn't get away with it by some other black kid who was not respecting his authority. And he just lost it. Yeah. Yeah. But just amplified it even worse. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no absolutely no reason for any of this to have happened, right? Like slamming this kid's head into a wall is so egregious. If you watch it, you're just like, OK. And then this kid, I mean, he's. it's just the whole thing is nightmarish and yeah he should yeah. go to jail he should never be a cop again he should never be able to own a gun um and and again it's this thing where imagine all the stuff that's not caught on exactly camera. if this third kid if they weren't all these kids weren't smart enough to do exactly what they had done and then this kid hadn't gone to the defense attorney she had to like find out who that was and like you know be invested in yeah. his his friends and brothers then like they, that's what the the press or the uh, public defender said. They're like, how many of these things happen, and we don't ever see it? And why was this cop not wearing a body cam? Like, n- we would never have known this happened. And who's gonna believe it if you don't see it? Who's gonna believe the story that some big brawny cop beat up a quadriplegic black kid in a foster? Yeah, home? Every, every, nobody's gonna believe it. Nobody believed it until the fucking video came out. We, and if, we're like, holy shit! If we told our fathers or yeah. or your brother, yeah, they'd been like, no, I'm That's sure it's an over exaggeration. They're making it up. It's misunderstanding. And that then you say, okay, here, watch. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and I don't necessarily blame them for that because it sounds fantastic. Right. It, it sounds like a ridiculous story. And, and when I said show me the video, it wasn't because I didn't believe it. I'm just like, I have to, you know, I have to see exactly what you mean. Right. Because we have this. We even people like us who hate cops have. There's still this weird uh, belief that we have to hold somehow that like 
bad things happen, but it can't possibly be as bad as they tell us it is. It can't be as systemic <laughs> as it really is and as brutal well, as it really is. That's how we get through life without yeah. being depressed or angry all the time and, you know, shaving years off our life just being... But that's a privilege minds. that you have being white. That's right. You're if you're black, right. you don't have that privilege. You have to be aware of that constantly. Yeah, and for really your own protection. Put our head in the sand and go, it can't be as bad as they say. It yeah. just can't be. And it is and worse and more brutal and more systemic than you can imagine. And we have to take our head out of the sand. We have to communally take our heads out of the sand and face it head on. Yeah. And reveal it and in reveal all, in all its it ugliness. And punish it and reform it and change it and rip the goddamn system to the ground because it is basically just an extension of slavers mm-hmm. at this point. And we just have to see it for what it is. And these are those examples that you can't go, well, maybe this was a one-off, maybe this, maybe that. Like, no, no, no. This happens every day, all the time, in black communities all over this country. Yeah. And we don't always get to see it that doesn't mean it's not happening. And when people tell you that it happened, fucking believe them. Because shit like this, again, if not caught on tape, no one would have believed this kid. Yeah. Yeah, at this point, I don't, I don't see why cops have earned the benefit of the doubt. Mm-mm. They haven't from me. Like, it's this, it's this, like, first grader mentality, right? Like, for career day, the cop comes and... Yeah. Shows you his badge and his gun, and you ooh and ah, and then like, mentally and emotionally, white people never get past that. Right, right. He's the guy to protect me. Yeah. Because by and large, that's mostly true for you, right? Mm-hmm. The cops are who you call when you're in trouble, when something bad happens. The cops are who you call, and that's supposed to make you feel better. And by and large, when you call the cops, they're either useless or they're they help you. It depends. I think it's even hit or miss for white people. I mean, it is for me. Like, in my experience, they're just absolutely useless. But but I'm not in danger when I call the cops, right? When I call the Probably cops, I'm not, not in you. danger. I'm just dealing with... I mean... I don't know. They in my my experience with cops has been remarkably bad. You probably bad. not, but I, I I know people. Maybe they're having an emotional crisis or a psychiatric crisis. They're not yes. really a danger to anybody, but they're certainly acting in an irrational way. And yeah, that can become a very dangerous situation. How many times do we read every goddamn week about a cop going somewhere for a quote welfare check and then murdering the person whose welfare they're supposedly checking on. Right. And that person was completely unarmed and no threat to anything or anything. Just having a psychiatric or emotional crisis happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. Which is something else that we're going to address. Well, or, or, or speaking of Texas in Fort Worth, it wasn't even that the cop just went to the window and saw somebody and shot them through the window. Right. So, right. Because they had a gun in their own home. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's really bad. But that's the other thing is, you know, if you are running a group home for adolescent boys who've been turned over to the state for whatever reason, yeah, um, most of them, it's from this account, seem to be young men of color and young black boys. The cops shouldn't even be on the list of people you call ever, ever. Yeah, and I mean ever. Unless, I mean, unless the building's on fire, I then guess. Then you call the fire department. Right. And they're not going to shoot you in the face. Or or somebody comes to try to rob the place, maybe? I don't know. The but. only time 
you should call the cops in a situation like that is if you are comfortable with one of the kids getting murdered by the cops. Somebody dying is the time you get to call the cops. And I mean that sincerely. I mean that for all white people, not just people who run foster homes. I mean sincerely. If you are around near in any, any capacity around black people and you call the police, then you are saying, I am comfortable with one of you being dead because of me. Especially in a situation where you understand the specific traumas of these kids. Fuck 15-year-old kids who have not experienced the trauma of this kid lash out and knock over trash cans all the time. Right? Suburban white kids get mad at their mom and kick the trash can over. And guess what doesn't happen? Their mom doesn't call the cops and the cops brutalize the kid. That's just a normal kid, right? Like just a regular suburban privilege. Well, this happened this kid. does happen in schools all the time, right? Yeah. Like uh, and this used to, I mean this goes back to the the 90s and the 80s. This mm-hmm. used to be controversial where they were cuffing 9-year-olds for yeah. acting out in class and the cops are like, "I'm doing my cop thing. You called me. This is what I'm supposed to do." Right. And, you know, and then the, then the, it became a big scandal for the teachers, but like to your point about why would you call the cops? I'm a, I'm trying to imagine this person that works in this group home, probably grossly underpaid probably grossly overworked. This is not an excuse. I'm just saying this is like the mindset. And this kid is having a day and he's acting out. And you know what they're thinking? I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. Uh, Let somebody else deal with this. I'll call the cops. Cops are not on the list. The cops are never just, they just aren't on the list. This is where we need community building. Yeah. Like <laughs> instead of calling the cops, there should be a community around these kids of mentors and people that they know, people that are similarly situated to them when they were kids. You know, there should be like the guy who comes over and teaches them about whatever yeah. once a week. You call that guy because he respects him and they have a relationship or the lady community who, liaison. Right. Yeah. Somebody. Right. Or about the, the counselor. Community. Does this place have a counselor right. on staff? Somebody. It's probably the counselor who maybe, called the maybe, fucking cops. It could be. Could have been. We we don't know all those details. But whoever it was, I'm sure their motivation their motivation couldn't have been like this kid is a danger to the other kids here or, or me. But then why are you calling the cops? Right. Cops, that's, that's, their only their laser focus is arrest people. Yeah. Arrest and hurt people because this person is dangerous. Otherwise, why the fuck would you call? Well, them? that's what I'm saying is is that person in that situation just does not want to deal with what they have to deal with. Let somebody else deal with it. And that is just as dangerous as that cop. Yeah. That person should not be in that place. Probably not. Probably not. Now, again, we don't know all the details, but we know a quadriplegic kid is... Who knocked over a trash can. That's it. That That is the worst they're going to do right there. What's the worst the cop and is going to do? And scream, Anything you can imagine. And maybe spit and be a dick. Yeah. Because their life is hard. Yeah. And they have experienced incredible amounts of trauma, which is probably not being addressed. So if they cuss and spit and knock over a trash can, okay. Yeah. And then eventually they'll assuredly wear themselves out and it'll be easier to deal with. Yeah. But I mean, and if you've developed any kind of relationship with this kid or any, like even made an attempt, I don't know. It's just, I know it's hard work. I know it's difficult and I know that it must yeah, be I've worked with special needs kids. Hard it's to, a challenge. Absolutely. But that's what you were choosing to do. Yeah. And that kid yes. is a human being. He needs help. He needs compassion and understanding. And yeah, he's going to be a dick probably a lot of the time for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, gets maybe to, maybe his whole life. Dick. Maybe his whole life. He gets to be a dick in my book. I mean, especially when you're 15. Not only is all that happening, but God knows the fucking hormones and like every. I mean, 15 year olds are dicks. Yeah. He gets to be one, mm-hmm. and you don't get to call the cops. And if the cops get called, they don't get to do what they did to any kid. So hopefully he sues them for a whole lot of money. Yeah, we're we'll keep an eye on that and see where it goes and who gets involved and if uh, uh, you know a, a private law firm gets involved, which I assume they would. I would hope so, and I hope I think this story is getting a lot of attention. Like, yeah, we we didn't like seek it out on the on police blog, Black Twitter, and then it, it the, hit the Washington Post, and I was yeah, like, okay, yeah. good. so it's in the Washington Post, so it's. It's blowing up and, you know, we need to keep Well, and the video is atrocious. I mean, you can just see. You're just like, what the fuck are you doing? Well, this is one of those times, right? a psychopath. Everybody is talking about what's happening in Washington, D.C., which is understandable. But, like, uh, the rest of the world still happens. Yes. And we can't take our eye off the ball with this kind of stuff. Yeah. So. All right. We got about 10 minutes before the break. What else? Let's see what else. I think the one thing I wanted to mention was that... um, Denver City Council, which we just overturned, yay, um, uh, is proposing something to deal with exactly this, which is that when cops are called in Denver, the city of Denver, for a mental health crisis, cops are not sent in, uh-huh. but mental health professionals are sent in. So there's literally no cops. Thank God. Um, if there's somebody that has a weapon, I think they have like a community resource officer who is armed, but not like a beat cop. Mm-hmm. And then mental health professionals to come in assess the situation, de-escalate the situation, and then figure out like treatment options and what do they need to do and how can we help. Right. And if the situation escalates, then cops are aware of the situation and can come in, but there are no cops present in the beginning. Good. Which is amazing if yeah. it passes, and it should. It's going to get a lot of resistance. You know, we never talked about the, the recent election here, did we? I mean, I guess we talked a little bit about it. We did. We did. Yeah. Uh, Mike Hoffman, I have results about that. Yeah, I want to hear, because I, I have no idea what's going on with that. So 800 ballots disappeared. <laughs> okay. Um, our new Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, was very transparent about that. Okay. Um, there are 800 ballots that either weren't delivered to people's homes or weren't delivered back to the Department of Elections. Okay. Where are they? Great question. Uh, nobody knows. They're oh, gone. God damn it. And Mike Kaufman um, just, it was just announced that he won by guess how many votes? 800. 214. Oh, God. Against the head of the NAACP, Omar. Wonderful, wonderful. And like we we don't even know if if you know there's anything that's shady to, to look at in terms of those ballots disappearing. No, but I would, I would strongly imagine that there will be lawsuits about those 800 ballots and this election. Because it was the most contentious, especially for a mayor's race in the state in a long time, and the closest. I don't know what Jenna can do ultimately about that or... I'm, she's doing everything she can, I'm sure, and I appreciate her transparency about this. Yeah. Um, Instead of trying to cover it up or not say anything or try to find them first, whatever, she was just like, hey, this is what happened. We don't know. We're looking into it. We'll figure it out. Yeah. And when was that latest update? Uh, Today. Okay. Uh, I want to. I mean, talk- the 800 ballots have been for like the last four or five. Oh, days. let's talk about the. Uh, there's a lot of stuff happening in Colorado politically. 
Um, let's talk about the uh, AstroTurf push pole call that you got. Right. First of all, let me let's explain what push poles are. Do you want you want me to give that primer? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So sometimes you will see these quote poles, and they're very they're not almost never about candidates. They're about issues or like things right. that might be on the ballot, and it'll be like. And they're almost like you—you you almost seem like in the Twitter or the Facebook sponsored things. Like sixty-five percent of Coloradans do not want to lose their, you know, private uh, health care or whatever. Right. And what those quote polls usually are are really, really bad science because they're what's called push polls. So it's—it's it's like this: if I call you, and I go, like my first question might be very sort of innocuous, like. Uh, are, are you, you happy with? To vote? Are you registered to vote? Are you happy with your current health care? Yes or no? And then, and then it's like yes, okay, like, and then they'll be like, well, what if I told you that this new proposed change in the law would mean that health care would be rationed uh, among only? We'd, we'd strip you of your health care that you currently like so much. Now, do you still like it? Right. Would you support a policy that would strip you of the health care you've just said you like so much? And of course, most people are going to be like, no. And no like, I don't okay, like thank you very much for your time. And now you've got... Now you've got 65% of people saying <laughs> they don't want yeah. universal coverage. Yeah, that, that's a push-pull. It's not scientific. You're, you're goading or pushing somebody to give you the results that you want because you've been commissioned by whatever company or organization or lobby to, to get these results so that you can right. put an ad saying... Whatever percent of Coloradans say this. So when I was, uh, my sociology uh, degree, uh, we, I did take this, several actually courses, which were like my least favorite because they're statistics basically. Um, but it was all about um, methods is what it was called. Research methods? Um, so, so yeah, basically research methods, but, yeah. but specific to sociology, right? So stuff uh -huh. like surveys and how you make questions and how you make unbiased so that it's yeah, good science, methods. right? Yeah, research methods, yeah. Took a bunch of those. And how, like, it can be, you know, you can have research methods that are just things like environmental, where you can go to a college campus and you can observe um, where, you know, how the walkways are being utilized by the students by judging if there's a walkway that's not present because everybody walks on this grass and the grass has been decomposed. And so now you know that that's the walkway where it should be because right. people actually walk right. right up to and including very detailed individualized interviews with specific individuals. But the most of the things that we talked about were like surveys, like how do you get a sample size that's accurate? How yeah. do you get a large enough sample size that's diverse enough? And, and how do you ask questions in a way that actually gets the answer that you're to the question if you're being right in ac good faith? Ac if, how do you get accurate data? Right. Yeah. I don't want to know the answer to the question that I want to prove my <sighs> hypothesis. I want to know the actual answer. And so these were something that we used a lot around like. If you pay people to take surveys, how does that skew it? But yeah. push polls were a big thing because people don't really understand um, that that's what's happening to them. But I had a, a phone call from a lovely gentleman who did a push poll on healthcare, and uh, I knew immediately that that's what it was. And I was giving him answers he did not want, like <laughs> questions like, "So you would be just fine with." Um, uh, taking away all private insurance so that you'd be stripped of your employer health care. 
um, and then letting the government decide when you get your health care. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and he was like, oh, so, okay. So you would be, so are you saying that you're in favor of um, the government deciding what kind of health care you get? And I was like, what kind of question is that? Yeah. First of all, that's not how any of this works. That's not but, okay. how this works. Can you ask me an actual research question? And he was like, uh, so yeah, it was very uncomfortable for him. Uh, fun for me. I skewed his um, push pull. Yeah. Slightly. Um, well, you know, but that, that's the messaging is <laughs> interesting about it. Right? You're, people like you serve a purpose too, because then it seems quasi realistic because you're not going to put a poll that says a hundred percent of Coloradans right. don't don't. There want are this. some communists. Yeah, <laughs> I talked to one. <laughs> Speaking of Told which, um, can I get some, throw in a total aside here? Mm-hmm. So Amazon has this series based on the the Philip K. Dick book, uh, The Man in the High Castle, mm-hmm. about the alternate reality where the Axis powers win World War II. We started watching it together, and I think you continued it without me. Well, you'd let you'd really like this season. I don't know if this is in the book or not. This last season. So we're into the 60s now, and uh, what would have been the Black Panthers is now the Black Communist Rebellion, and they're fighting the uh, they're fighting the Japanese on the West Coast, and they are basically the entire resistance. Uh, so I was like, oh, I think I think Rich would be into. This. I mean, you could <laughs> call the Black Panthers the Black Black Communist Rebellion for sure. I no, they'd be no, fine it's, with that. it's the same. It's the same people. I think it's like yeah. it's led by Fred Hampton, Aww. except his name is something else. Fred something else, but yeah. Can I tell you a really fucked up thing that I learned? Yeah, go ahead. On our last, just a, something to contemplate over the break. Sure. Is that Fred Hampton's mom, Iberia Hampton, babysat Emmett Till. Oh my God. When he was a kid. Jesus. They were neighbors in Chicago. Sure, of course they were. Of course they were. Just leave you with that. <sighs> Fucking A. As told by Jeff Haas, who interviewed her for his book about Fred Hampton. Yeah. Yeah. She always got nervous when they let the kids go back to the South. And then... Yes. Yeah. I would, too. He was 14 and went back to the South. He was... Oh, God. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Just the... Just... Yeah. So, that's a tidbit. Interesting. Yeah. So, anyway, uh, yeah, Rachel got a push-pull and, and didn't didn't help... With the results they necessarily wanted, but it, it, there's going to be so much of that in the season, and just kind of sort of pivoting. And you know, every every Democratic candidate right now has a version of Medicare for all, and there's going to be so much resistance from the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry, and you know, uh, doctors' um, unions and stuff, because this would really affect their as well. I mean, there's going to be so much resistance to this. I, I think people don't realize how much. And we've got a problem on the left, too, that, you know, the whole the Bernie Sanders idea is, is well, yeah, well, okay, we'll never get any of this through Congress, but if we march in the streets, then we'll get our universal health care. It's like, no, you won't. Like, that that's not a plan. That's not a strategy. Like, I love the spirit. I love what you want to do. But the... <laughs> The strategy is overwhelmingly having so much control of all three branches of government. And, and having progressive people And in then those turning roles. over the judiciary. That's how you do it. Just 
having marches is not going to sway the lobbyists no. and, and the, you know. And electing a bunch of centrist Democrats isn't going to get you that either because they're not for it. No, but ultimately, centrist Democrats is going to be the Republican. You might have a shot in hell with a centrist Democrat. Maybe. Uh, maybe. Better but, chance with the progressive one, though. But where, Yes, absolutely. But where I was going with this is um, because it's primary season and primary season sucks and it's yep. horrible. Yeah. Um, you know, and because the primary is going on, I, I keep an eye on what I call hip woke comedy New York Twitter, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is all the burn near bus crowd. And we've got impeachment going on and we've got the rising seas and everything else that's happening. The only thing they care about is just ripping everybody but Bernie in the Democratic field. That's yeah. all they do 24-7. And, yeah. like, I get it. You want Bernie. He's your guy. That's fine. That's great. Go caucus for him. Maybe he'll be the nominee. Probably not. Whatever. You know? Um, but, like, really? That's where all your energy is right now? I know. But I was really Like, you can, you can support Bernie and not use all your spare energy to tear everything else down that's on your side. I, I, I right. don't understand. Well, because it's not about um, ideology. It's about a cult of personality at this point. They don't really care about Medicare for all. They don't really care about health care. You know, I don't... if they did, I, then it would be the same position you and I are in, which uh, is, I like Warren better. Yeah. I'll vote for either one. Both of them are going to try to get the same thing done. I just think she has a better chance of getting it done than he does. Either way, better than what we have, and I like them, like, I like her better, but I'll vote for either one. I, I don't I don't even necessarily know that that's true. I think they've honestly sort of deluded themselves or brainwashed themselves into thinking... Like, Trump isn't the enemy. Uh, rampant capitalist, uh, the rampant capitalist um, machine is not the problem. The, the problem is the Democratic Party. That's the problem. That's the enemy. And it's like, okay, I mean, we're going to do this shit again. Go for but it. But I think we have to be careful about this media narrative around this, right? Because this is what we keep hearing, and this is what. The media loves to talk about. I know, I know, but I'm telling you what I'm seeing in I know, real time. But this is a small, small, small minority of Democratic voters. No, you're absolutely this. right. And, and we need it, to stop and, amplifying their voices. And Twitter is not real life. And I, like I know. they need to be shut the fuck up. Like they we're not gonna get them to shut up, but we don't need to argue with them and we don't need to No, and I've stopped doing retweet that. them and any of that. Like they're just this little bubble that can yell amongst themselves and hate everybody and whatever, but we made the mistake in 2016 of taking them really seriously and imagining and making them a movement. Yeah. And I don't want to make them a movement. I want to make them a tiny, tiny little bubble of asshole white guys, and that's it. And then everybody else, we're going to play nice, we're going to get a candidate who everybody's going to support, and I don't give a shit about them. I don't give a shit about them any more than I give a shit about... The racist people that vote for Trump and don't care if he murders people. Yeah, the people in the diner. The, n- none of them are movable. And the more you listen to them and write stories about them and put them in the New York Times, the bigger they get and the more everybody thinks, oh, that's what's happening. That's yeah. the narrative is this divide on the left. And the divide on the left isn't real. It's just these this very small group of white guys who are loud. Yeah. That's my belief. Okay, I'm gonna, we're going to take a quick break and come back. We're going to talk some impeachment and then whatever else might come to mind because it's okay. our podcast and we can do that. Yeah. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Hello and welcome back to Reverend Testimony. My cold is in full high gear right now, so... During the break, instead of Rachel getting pissed off about something in the news, Travis got just circled the drain. (laughs) (laughs) And is now officially sick. Uh, Yeah, that's where we're at. So um, enjoy my uh, mucus production and... All right, let's, uh, before I get into impeachment... I do have a thing. Go ahead. Okay. So, um, I would like to roll out my vision of what I think the Democratic Party should be, and okay. leftists in general. It's my vision, um, brought to you by uh, Bill Barr at his <laughs> speech to the Federalist Society. Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. This was just last night or two nights ago, yeah. I think. Yeah. And Brett Kavanaugh was the man of honor for the night. Of course he was. So here is what Bill Barr has to say about who we are, and this is who I'd like us to be. In any age, the so-called progressives treat politics as their religion. Their holy mission is to use the coercive power of the state to remake man and society in their own image according to an abstract ideal of perfection. Whatever means they use are therefore justified because, by definition, they are a virtuous people pursuing a deific end. They are willing to see, to use any means necessary to gain momentary advantage in achieving their end, regardless of collateral consequences and the systemic implications. They never ask whether the actions they take could be justified as a general rule of conduct equally applicable to all sides. Conservatives, on the other hand, do not seek an earthly paradise. We are interested in preserving over the long run the proper balance of freedom and order necessary for healthy development of natural civil society and individual human flourishing. (laughs) This means that we naturally test the proprietary and wisdom of action under a rule of law standard. The essence of this standard is to ask what the overall impact on society over the long run if the action we are taking or principle we are applying in a given circumstance was universalized. That is, would it be good for society over the long haul if this was done in all circumstances? Mm -hmm. For these reasons, conservatives tend to have more scruple over their political tactics and rarely feel that the ends (laughs) justify the means. And this is as it should be. But there is no getting around the fact that this puts conservatives at a disadvantage when facing progressives' holy war, especially when doing so under the weight of a hyper-partisan media. (sighs) God. So it's obviously satire. That is literally what he said. I do not believe any of that you is talk true. About, and it's a weird... It's projection. Complete it's projection. It's a weird, like, switcheroo, right? Yeah. Because the entire first paragraph about treating politics as religion is a specifically conservative value. They would like religion yeah. to be politics. Exactly. Right? No, liter- literally. Not not figuratively. No, literally. literally for religion to be the rule of law. Yeah. Um, and their holy mission is literally to use the coercive power of the state to remake man and society in their own image according to an abstract ideal of perfection. So, Which is white, Christian, <clears throat> wasp, hegemony. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And to use the coercive power in the state such as to take away reproductive rights, to, mm-hmm. um, you know, make sure that um, in its own image, we don't have any black or brown people in any positions of power or really existing at all in any way other than in servitude. Yes. Um, that, that they feel themselves to be a virtuous people pursuing a deific end. That's a literal definition of what most conservatives think of themselves. Mm. And their willingness to use any means necessary to gain momentary advantage in achieving their end 
regardless of collateral consequences and systemic <laughs> implications, is literally Hello, the platform of the Republican Party. Yeah. It's, and of conservatives. Yes. They and never, especially in the Trump era. Yeah. Especially in the Trump era. And especially in the Trump era, quote, they never ask whether the actions they could take could be justified as a general rule of conduct, equally applicable to all sides. Right. We don't ask that anymore. <laughs> yeah. Conservatives, on the other hand, do not seek an earthly paradise. Okay. Because you're literally pursuing a holy mission to, right? Um, so in other words, uh, this is the part where I guess there's a little hint of truth. Like life is going to suck for American people, right. but the system will endure. The the hegemonic system right. will endure. Right. They yeah. don't seek an earthly paradise. They don't seek a place where people are happy no. or cared for no. or sustained. No, we need, They don't seek a place that's even an earthly we livable this, situation. This white capitalist military industrial complex, white straight cis hegemony system to flourish and keep going and that's going to suck for a lot of people but oh well so finally some honesty at least in that part we are interested in preserving over the long run the proper balance of freedom and order (laughs) necessary for healthy development of natural civil society and individual human flourishing what that means is for people like we are interested in preserving power yes (laughs) and fuck everyone else because some rich people will flourish and the other people will be in the quote healthy development of natural civil society, which means, which you know, means it our ev- if, well, yes, or eventually all you po- disgusting pores will learn to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? If there's if there's enough trickle down or whatever, or if there's enough supply side economics, right? But then he goes on to say this means that we naturally have to do this under a rule of law standard, which is kind of hilarious considering that he is the attorney general for president trump but also what he means there is law enforcement yes exactly law enforcement police law enforcement police state the state will control things period yeah it was it was that is a psychotic rant from from bill barr that is just yeah nuts yeah but it's at the federalist society in which brett kavanaugh was the man of honor so does it surprise you no, of course not. And I love this. For these reasons, conservatives tend to have more scruple over their political tactics and rarely feel that the ends justify the means. I mean, li- their literal defense is... The ends justify the means. The ends justify the means. <laughs> right? And everybody does it. And the it rule and of law fine. doesn't matter. And that the only thing that matters is the ends. And yeah. so we can do whatever we want. And maybe it was illegal, but maybe it shouldn't have been. But we right. did it anyway because the ends justify the means. So maybe the president broke the law, but I don't care because he got what he wanted and he's the president. Right. So th- I don't know what to do with this. It, it, Other it, than I wish that we were so unscrupulous and just like dedicated to like reshaping the country to our Right. Own can you ends? imagine if we really were like right? that? I would love that. I wouldn't love his version of that, but like if we were that unscrupulous and just like committed and defiant and just like fuck everything and burn the world down, I wish we were that way. Yeah. That is my vision for us is burn it down. It doesn't work. But we don't burn it to the ground. But we don't actually do that. We're very, they do. We're very big on preserving norms. Yes. Which have all been shredded already. And appealing to that swath of American people that will un- see reason and respect that and respect cordiality and norms. And that's not a thing. It doesn't work. It doesn't inspire anybody to vote or do anything. Can I talk about that for a minute? Yeah, absolutely. So 
Back in the day, when we first met, started this podcast, I think I was a person who believed in preserving norms. And you and I had some fights, particularly after Trump was elected, about, even before, about, like, whether the Democratic Party should preserve norms and structures and systems and things, because it seemed to me at the time that, you know, upholding the democracy, upholding the system, upholding the state was important, and that it was the work of the Democrats to do so, while at the same time making that state more fair and free. The things I was taught as a white, (laughs) right, American... Poli-Sci 101. Poli-Sci 101 student, right? Those are the things that I believed in. Yeah. And I can tell you that I believe in none of those things anymore. And I haven't for quite some time. Well, even if you'd like to, I mean, at this point, we're in a fight for survival. Right? Right. But I think I was wrong then, too. I think I've been wrong and brainwashed for a long time, which is to believe that, that those norms were good. That somehow that the norms that we had in place were... Good and just and moral. Well, who can blame you for that? Because that that is is sort of Obama philosophy personified. And it's American history. It's what we're taught. It's what you're told. It's what you believe. Yeah. And then when you peel back, right, the hood, and you look at what those norms do to people who aren't like you, yeah, for everybody else, none of those norms should have ever been upheld. Those norms created these systems of systemic oppression and injustice that people not like me have had to do forever. And I was over here being like, white saviory, oh, we're just going to make them better slowly and and pragmatically. And, and we're going to just, system, just, just a little bit by little bit, we're going to make them better and it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And really the systems were built to do exactly what they're doing. And they should never have been in place and I should never have been in favor of keeping them there. So, yeah, I'm no longer in favor of that. Yeah, I don't think I can really blame you for that, you know? Right. I I think I was more or less kind of with you. Yeah, I think you were too. You were more about, like, Congress should buck the, the, the norms and stop pretending that we're in the normal world. And I was no, like, but I, without the norms, what do we have? You know, and it's like, well, the, the, none of it should ever. It's all bullshit. It has been forever. Yeah. This country was built on the, the blood and death and murder of innocence. And uh, and and we try to make it seem like it was the right thing, but it wasn't the right thing. It never was the right thing. And so. For all you teachers out there, I know we have a lot of listeners who are teachers. Um, when you're teaching American history, let's think really critically about like how that's taught. And I don't know that you always have control over that, considering school boards, which is, again, about voting. But thinking about how we teach American history and the greatness of our country and, and the sort of patriotism that we teach, I wish I'd been taught other stuff, too. I wish I'd been taught about, like, the real brutality of slavery and, um, yes, Harriet Tubman, but then also, like, Harriet Tubman's, like, resistance and, like, her, like, freeing of a bunch of slaves and burning a bunch of plantations. Didn't hear that. No. Didn't hear any of that. That's, like, maybe her greatest contribution. No, it was sanitized. Yeah. So. You think of Harriet Tubman, you think of people running away. Right, and That's she's just like of, right? hiding, hiding them in nice white away. folks' houses who don't like slavery. Yeah, 
And that's not at all what she did. She was a spy. She risked her life multiple times. She went back to uh, the uh, Union Army and made this whole plan and um, freed like a couple hundred slaves and burned a bunch of plantations yeah, along this river. She was considered river. a terrorist. She was. And she was a revolutionary in freeing her people and, and burning plantations. And that should be regarded as a good thing in history and taught as like what an amazing woman she was. That's not very polite. Right. It's not very and it might make the white kids feel bad that their ancestors enslaved yeah. people. So we really talk about like <clears throat> the nice slave owners <laughs> right? and the ones who got away right. and the abolitionists in the North. But we don't talk about the brutality of slavery. And as a result, we don't talk about how the brutality of slavery led to the brutality of the police state. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing. And it's, it's connected to capitalism. You know, our country started in this place of we're going to make money on the blood and death of people. And then we transitioned that a little bit and said, well, okay, we can't do that anymore, but we can still monetize human beings' bodies right and their labor and pay them as very little as we possibly can so they don't revolt and we're just in an ever-changing version of that ever since and when you don't learn the history of slavery properly you don't get the correlation between the two i think you know yeah yeah so are we ready to switch gears and talk about impeachment sure okay <laughs> it's a much more polite topic i suppose so <laughs> It really isn't. No. Uh, so the first couple of days we've had three witnesses and all career people who were essentially ambassadors or on the foreign policy team for the Ukraine. Can I just add, because I've had questions from people at work about what's the difference. And so okay. these are not appointed by political people. These are people who just like have a job at like the FBI or the CIA or whatever. No, uh, no. Uh, Taylor was appointed um, under Trump. I don't know if by Trump directly. And Yovanovitch was appointed, I think, a long time ago. So they are political appointees in a sense. But it's not like a cabinet member. Right. It's not like no. Um, this person is like I serve at the pleasure of the president. Oh, they do. Yes, ambassadors yes. absolutely do. Okay. That's that's one of the things that's being debated. Basically, is because um, Yovanovitch was the uh, Ukraine ambassador. Ambassador, mm-hmm. and basically there was a smear campaign led by Rudy, and then echoed by Trump for a lot of various reasons I won't get too in the weeds on. But basically, she was too hard on... uh, She wasn't going to be their yes man. She wasn't going to be Rudy's yes man for these rich oligarchs to help enrich Rudy and Trump's friends. And so they said, well, she's trouble. We need to get her out of here. And they personally smeared her and actually put her in some degree of danger. Uh, And. It wasn't even necessary if they could just fire her without cause. Right. And this is all sort of a part of the nexus of Trump and his misdeeds in Ukraine. And the Republicans are making the point of like, well, you know, he can fire an ambassador for any reason at any time. Right. And that's true. But there's a there's a big old asterisk caveat when you're doing that as part of a sort of a corrupt scheme, then it matters. (laughs) 
right? Yes. And, and like they're not they're not impeaching him for firing, firing anybody, but this no. is part of the whole thing. So right. you know, when Nunes and they said, "Why is she even here? This is pointless." It's like, okay, well, this is this is why. Right. So the first the first day with these with these two guys, Taylor and Kent. And these are these are really bland, boring career diplomats. They are not wild-eyed partisans of any variety. Right. They are super straight-laced. One of them was wearing a fucking bow tie. They're also both like actually really boring people. They're so. really boring, which is perfect. I'll get to the media reaction to that. Um, but that's kind of the point. the The point is. You're going to bring in these witnesses and the Republicans are going to try to tar them as being these wild-eyed, liberal, Trump-hating, crusading, whatever. And they're actually really these old, boring, white guy career diplomats with um, Taylor being a very decorated former Marine and, and had every medal on the planet and then he served 30 years right i mean he's been under so many presidents and administrations and like democrat and republican and everybody loves him he's just sort of like he's just like a kind of an expert about international relations in specific regions his job is to be an expert about this really niche thing yeah and like that's what he does so of course when he gets pulled into things he's gonna be like oh well this is how this works because this is what the situation is and they're like, well, that's not how we want it to work, so we're going to do a different thing. Right. And he kind of was like, no. Yeah. Can't <laughs> right? really do that. Why are we doing this? Why are this? we doing this? This, this seems this, not good. This is actually working against our stated foreign policy objectives. Right. What you're doing here. Right. We shouldn't be doing the, the this. The entire like national security infrastructure of our country has decided was right. Yeah. We're suddenly not doing, but we're also not involving anyone else. Right. And this seems also illegal. Yeah. Yeah. And then George Kent is more of sort of the like academic egghead side of it, like basically corroborating, saying the same thing. Right. And he's the guy that like advises Bill Taylor to go advise other people or whatever. He's the policy guy. And, you know, it was it was from a completely outside perspective. It was kind of boring and kind of dry. And they basically said, yeah, the president did this stuff and it's bad. And. The Republicans tried to bring up, well, what about the Bidens? No, we never heard anything about the Bidens. <laughs> it wasn't that really wasn't a thing that concerned anybody or anything, and it was pretty bad. Of course, the the media's first reaction was there was it was not exciting, right? There was no pizzazz. Which this was what a, the fuck is that? There's no pizzazz. Okay, cool. So there must be nothing reportable here. I'm sure that like Woodward and Bernstein would be proud. Yeah. Of this reporting on this impeachment hearing, which is nobody said anything mean and like snarky. So there's really nothing to say. Right. Like that's where we are. We're in a reality show. Pretty much. So the media is on this kick of like, well, that was boring. Didn't capture anybody's attention. Where's the pizzazz? And it's like, I don't really know what you wanted from the first day. Soundbite. And the the whole... But there were soundbites. I mean, the whole point was, here's these very boring, obviously nonpartisan, nonpolitical diplomat guys who are going to lay out sort of the basics in in a very professional manner of, you know, what happened. The evidence that President Trump used quid pro quo against Russia and 
that's illegal. That's Ukraine. I'm sorry. Ukraine. Ukraine's new yes. president. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. So that's kind of where we were. Um, then on Friday, that was Wednesday, and then Friday was Ivanovich. And she's a woman. She's so a woman. Obviously, but we're going to have some issues there. Again, she was very professional. She was very straightforward, clear, mm-hmm. easy to understand. Mm-hmm. You knew where she was coming from. She didn't seem evasive. She didn't seem like she was trying to not answer questions or be like, I don't recall or anything else. She was just like, yes. Yep. That's true. Yep. Yes. I mean, just very like, you know, transparent. Yeah. Um, and then the president decided to start attacking her on Twitter while she was testifying. Yep. Yes, he did. That's we'll have to talk about that. In the middle of testimony, he starts attacking her on Twitter, really just vile personal crap. And, you know, not only was it not good for him and looked really bad, uh, it's a it's witness tampering, witness intimidation. And could very well be another article. From the president article. of the United States. Yeah, could very during well be. During his own impeachment. Another article of impeachment. Publicly. Right? So, like, it's not even like he's privately intimidating her. He's saying publicly, like, all of these sort of smear tactics. Hey, everybody. Sorry to abruptly end this, but um, we're having some dog health stuff that we got to go address and... Trav feels like shit, and uh, we just, we gotta go take care of ours, uh, our own. So, um, anyway, stay active, stay tuned, stay engaged, all that stuff, and, and we'll see you when we see you.